0: Welcome to the Safety Doc Podcast with your charismatic host and prominent safety expert, Dr. David Perodin. Be entertained and informed as the Safety Doc discusses both best and bizarre practices in safety preparation and crisis response. The truth will keep you safe. Follow Dr. Perodin on Twitter at SafetyPhD.
1: This is Dr. David Perodin, and I want to thank you as we begin another journey into school and community safety. If you're looking for industrial safety expert, Appalachian State University professor, Dr. Timothy Ludwig, please visit www.safety-doc.com. Again, that's Dr. Timothy Ludwig at www.safety-doc.com. Hi, everybody, and welcome to Safety Doc Podcast 57 irrational desire for perfection or dread of social failure. Why are younger adults so depressed? So, wow. Hey, first off, a thank you to the 405 Media, the 405media.com out of Los Angeles, California, and our good friend John Grant and the League of Extraordinary Podcasters, the 405 Media out of Los Angeles. You can listen to the Safety Doc Podcast, 2 p.m. PST daily on the 405 Media. Hang around for the next hour at 3 p.m. for Captain Capitalism, Aaron Clary. All things economics and just a national and world perspective. Captain Capitalism, Aaron Clary at 3 o'clock. Also, a thank you to the sponsor of the Safety Doc Podcast, Spriggio. S-P-R-I-G-E-O, Sprigio.com, out of Santa Barbara, California. The nation's leader in online bullying, harassment, and threat reporting software. Sprigio.com. If you're a parent and you're wondering how your school keeps students safe, how your school encourages students to report possible concerns about bullying, harassment, and threats you want to ask hey what do you use what system do you use and have you considered sprigio sprigio.com the nation's leader an awesome program thank you for considering sprigio.com so today's show is titled irrational desire for perfection or dread of social failure so basically basically it's one or the other Is it an irrational desire for perfection, or is it the dread of social failure, which is the cause of why younger adults are so depressed? Okay, so this is going to be based off of an article um, that came out of Yahoo Lifestyle by Maggie Parker on January 3rd, 2018. So we're going to go through and talk about that article. Something I like to do also is go in the comment section of, of these articles, go in the forum, read through, you know, many, many comments, and then try to theme out what people are saying, and then bring out some of those comments and, and share those and talk about those a little bit more. Um, because, you know, just kind of like reviews, like, <laughs> I think that's one of the reasons Amazon, you know, is so successful, because people can go and they can read 200 e- reviews about a camera purchase or something like that and and, and kind of get a feel for what people are thinking about it. And it's, it's kind of the same way with these articles, but it's much more reaction and not kind of firsthand experience. Um, but I think it does give a, a good calibration for how people, I guess, in this case are perceiving millennials and Gen Z, but really, you know, like the 35-year-olds all the way down to, you know, like your 20-year-olds. So interesting, interesting stuff. It, it's a fascinating article because it's based off what I think is a really solid study, and, and we'll get into that. So a few things right off the bat here. Um You're probably noticing a few things. One is the video is different. It certainly is. We are uh, using UCAM instead of Logitech. So we got rid of Logitech. And part of the reason was I just didn't feel um, the the drivers were up to date, and it was rendering um, a, a, a very rich video. It was kind of a darker image. So we've gone with UCAM, which I've had for a while. I just haven't recorded in podcast in UCAM, and it took a little while to, to reconfigure it. I do have... Some uh, very interesting uh, shows ahead where I'll be using my Zoom. I did get into lavalier um, XLR mics that I'll be ho- hooking up to my Zoom. I worked over uh, winter break and, and had a 10-foot cord to hook my, my Zoom into my camcorder and was doing some, some podcasting that way, just some trials. So, so we've got some really cool things going. But um, I want to improve the audio quality of the show I was in contact, actually, with um, a sound engineer from Auphonic, A-U-P-H-O-N-I-C, Auphonic, auphonic.com, um, and it's a, a company where you can uh, purchase leveling software, very re- reasonable. I think it's like $90 and for permanent license. I'm going to give you upgrades. But you can put your podcast in, and then it'll go through different algorithms, and you can set it, and, and it's very easy, very easy. And it it basically levels your sound to minus sixteen LUHs or LUFS, whatever it is. But it, it's basically like a, a podcasting standard. So the volume that I'm talking at, or any um, sound effects, anything that I have during the show, kind of gets brought up to the standard level, just like on TV. So all of a sudden, you don't have like one quiet podcast and one really loud podcast. So you know, it, it levels up, does a really nice job. I was in contact with an engineer, and I said, you know, I, I'm, I'm having some issues people would say, the the sound is good, but I thought the sound could be better. And the engineer took a look at the raw raw file and said, yeah, Dave, what you're doing is you're converting this down to an MP3 right away, right off the bat, instead of um, leaving it in a wave format, which is not compressed. So when I do the podcast, when it's an hour, a wave will be about 600 meg, but an MP3 for an hour might be 100 meg, so you can already tell it's condensed. So if you take that 100 meg... And then you re-render that through my editing software, and then you render it one more time through a phonic. Well, then you're you're rendering and degrading a little bit, and degrading a little bit. So, so anyway, I'm I'm hoping we get there. And another thing is, I've I've upped the gain in the computer a little bit, and I've upped the gain on the mic. So, I hope we're okay with this show. Um, if we're a little high with the gain, I'll tweak that in the next show and, and kind of find a sweet spot but what was happening is the gain was coming in so low that a lot of amplification needed to be applied to get it up to podcast standard. So something we're trying. I'm, I'm hoping ultimately um, the sound is gonna be richer and we're gonna have more treble in the sound and less reverb. Um, so I'm also editing it without um, kind of that hum deduction f- reduction feature. And it's pretty quiet down here in the studio. We don't really have any hum. Um, I'm ordering some soundproofing material that will go on some different walls and then actually in front of me uh, because there are hard services. And, of course, I'm looking at one monitor. I have a monitor on the right monitor the left, so three monitors, and, and put a little bit of soundproofing foam in front while I'm doing the, the podcast just to knock some of that down. So um, yeah, you know, just as you, I, I want to listen to a podcast that has good audio quality, um, and it, it's kind of fascinating because some of the podcasts I listen to, it's like you know, people who record podcasts while they're in their car and they have some kind of microphone you know set up, so you know you're hearing the rumbling of the car and the road noise and things, and it, you know if the content of the podcast is good, you'll 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 put up with some of that stuff. But um, it is time here at episode uh, fifty seven. To make that um, to make that jump and and hopefully go into something better. So um, we are probably going to run beyond our one hour limit today. We've gone um, you know close. We, we've gone to our one hour for quite a few episodes here, but I think today's going to be a little bit more of an extended episode. Um, put a, a lot of work into the notes for this episode. We are getting back into the safety component, which I would say is psychological safety. and and kind of that personal well-being safety. So we haven't been there for a little while. We're revisiting it right now. And I I do have um, a podcast that I will be recording in February, which will be about um, child sex trafficking and grooming. I'll be recording that with Hector Solis of Awareness Podcast. Hector and I um, had a Skype meeting last night to kind of frame out how that will go. And now, folks, I've been in education um, you know, for much of my career, like 20 years, and in the administrative capacity for 12 to, to 15 years to some level, plus consulting and and what I had learned in my discussion with Hector was just absolutely jaw-dropping. So we are going to share things in that podcast. Um, that I can tell you, I mean, as a, as a parent, you're you're not going to be aware of, of some of the things that are going on. So we're going to bring an awareness to you. Uh, right now, Hector actually is recording out of a, a, a temporary studio um, as he is doing an upgrade into a, a much more elaborate uh, studio. So I'll be having him call in, and I'll be doing my uh, Skype uh, split screen and doing the rendering on on that show. But um, Hector Solis and the Awareness podcast will be making um, a guest um, appearance here in February. And we still have Sean Iams Fuller on, on deck. Uh, Sean has been in regular communication with me every couple of days, um, and he's been kind of battling this upper respiratory thing. And uh wants to make sure he's got that behind him before we do a before we do a podcast. But he, he emails or or somehow gets a hold of me, you know, direct message every couple of days and says, Dave, I'm still on. Wanna do it, wanna do this. I'm I'm just not hundred percent yet. And and I'm like, Yeah, yeah, you know, let, let's make sure you're feeling good so we don't get ten minutes in and you're like, I have no voice, Dave. Take it from here. Um, and, uh, we'll be looking at Danny Woodburn coming on the show and, and just, a, another great lineup. And, uh, uh, Justin Dooley, uh, will be doing a show, which will be the first show. So I got another, um, I, I ordered a second tripod. So the tripod will hold the, and it, it arrived. So I've got, you know, really cool setup now. So the second tripod will hold the zoom And then the, so the zoom is, is the XLR recorder. I'll hold it up right here for those of you watching on um, YouTube. Okay. So by the way, this show, you know, it's well lighted. It's pretty cool on YouTube if you want to see it. Um, And I've got my Wisconsin Badgers pin on because the Wisconsin Badgers football team won the Orange Bowl and finished with a record 13 wins for the 2017 season. But, um, but yeah, wow. I will be using my H4N Pro um, on a tripod, and then I'll also have my camcorder, you know, set up 8 to 10 feet away. And we'll be doing a show um, uh, that will feature a story where he came upon an accident. He was going to a wedding. all you know, dress formally for that with his wife, and it was a motorcycle accident. But we're going to talk just kind of about, um, you know, what the decision-making that goes into those scenarios. Do I stop? Do I not stop? What kind of help do I render and plus just like what it's like to be safe in Wisconsin. Folks, we are on the third week right now of this extended cold snap in Wisconsin. It is minus um, it is minus 4 right now outside. And it's going to be about minus 15 tonight. So what they do is just like, um, you know, they, they issue tornado warnings and wind advis- advisories, things like that. They issue, you know, like um, overnight uh, frost not frost, but, you know, just like frigid temperatures, you know, like that your skin can freeze if you're out for more than 20 minutes with unexposed or with exposed, you know, hands or something like that. So, um, we are definitely, you know, well into this. It's, it's about three weeks into this deep freeze. Um, and one of the weird things is we left our garage door open the other night and, (laughs) So, everything in the, and it was a night where it got to be like 20 below by, you know, like 3 a.m. So here we are, and I open up the garage door in the morning, and I'm, or I open, I open the door to go to the garage, to attached to the house. And I look out, and I'm like, the garage door's open. And, uh, and we had come back that night and, and just didn't shut the, the door. Um, Thankfully, we live in a safe neighborhood. I mean, I checked around. Nothing was messed with and, you know, checked around the house and nobody had managed to get in and, you know, steal my safety doc script and try to make their own safety doc show and, and take take my thunder on this. Um, but what it did do, though, is it dropped the garage temperature, obviously, to minus 20. And I had a few things out there that probably shouldn't have frozen. Um, one is a mulch dye. So I purchase this mulch dye, and then I mix it up in a, a sprayer, and I spray my red mulch um, probably about four or five times a year. I have it in the front yard, in the backyard, and I'll spray it in the front yard. And, and it looks, you know, then it's red again. You don't have to buy new mulch, and it's biodegradable. It's good stuff. But once it freezes, once it freezes, like it's done, it becomes this this clumpy stuff that no matter if you add water to it and shake it, it's it's gone. It's so... That I'm going to have to toss, and I'll have to look at what else I have out there. But I did bring down quite a few things that couldn't freeze, like some, you know, wax for the cars and stuff like that. I already had that down, but I had a few things. And usually the garage will stay in the 30s at least, uh, because once you put the door down, the garage, the front of the garage um, is the back side of our wood-burning insert for our great room. So we have fires all the time in winter, every day, basically. And it heats that side of the the house. And then that radiates off. It makes that wall kind of warm. So, you know, of course it makes the, makes the garage warm um, to some extent, you know, 30 to four degrees, even if it's zero degrees outside. But, um, but yeah. So, uh, a couple friends of mine have asked me, you know, that, that don't live in Wisconsin and haven't lived in Wisconsin. And if they visit Wisconsin, they visit typically like in, you know, summer or something like that. And it's amazing because they ask the question of what's it like, because they see it on the news, you know, what's it like to be in the deep freeze of, you know, the minus 10 degrees and the wind chill of minus 25 and all of that. And, and, and one one of my friends, you know, wrote me a pretty lengthy email and he said, yeah, I imagine his life stops because I mentioned, I said, yeah, it's not as bad as it sounds because it actually has been kind of sunny and, and that gives the illusion that it's warmer than it is. Um, but I said, there's a plus of this. We had a Japanese beetle infestation last year. It's just crazy. And when you have a deep freeze like this, it, it takes care of a, a number of the Japanese beetles because they hibernate in the soil. Boom. You know, a lot of them are gone. Um, But I said, one of the strange things is after, and I grew up in Wisconsin, and I grew up in northern Wisconsin, so this isn't anything new to me. It annoys me somewhat because (laughs) I like to be outside, you know, like I will bike in summer, and there is nothing like biking when it's, you know, 80, 85 degrees, you know, maybe 70% humidity sunny days and just out for the entire day 70 80 miles i'm like oh it was just so perfect and and i've gotten to the point with with my awareness my situational awareness where i'll be biking and i will i will be thinking at that moment how awesome that is and how there will be days when it is minus 10 or minus 20 i'll be at home and i'll be wishing that i was out biking um and I've had that right now, and trying to recapture what that is. You know, you can't put it in a bottle and and open it up and you know capture the sweet smell of of the the cornfield or the soybeans and 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 just how how awesome and great that feels. But you know, you know, it's it's January fifth today. So really, I've by about April fifth on on you know some some springs you can get out and get in some pretty decent bike rides so we're not too far away um you know it's not that bad and we're about two months away from daylight savings time and so i'm a big fan big fan of that i'm celebrate that um and it's already uh, staying lighter longer because what december 21st i believe is the the winter solstice so you know we're what now two three weeks beyond that so um but anyway, uh, one of my friends was asking me about this winter, and he, he wrote this whole thing, and it, it was kind of very th- you know, thoughtful and deep of like, I imagine everything just kind of slows down and kind of people just like bundle up and all of that. And I said, well, eh, not really. Like, <laughs> I said, um, you know, there's, there's certain things, but I'm like, you know, once you're into this a few weeks, you acclimate because you live here. So I, went, I, I told him, I said, I went out and I pumped gas that night, you know, a couple nights ago. And, um, you know, just in bare hands and, and, um, you know, it didn't really feel, it felt cold, but it didn't feel like bitter cold, like it wasn't shaking and shivering and stuff like that. And then I said, uh, you know, so, you know, you you get, you get used to it. And the other part is, um, I said, the strange thing though, is you have to take the squeegee that you use to clean your windshield. You know, at the gas station, I said, the big thing is that you clean your headlights because they throw a ton of salt on the roads because any bit of, of moisture on the roads and, and thawing because it's, it, it, you know, a little bit of snow, even just like a half inch of snow. We have very little snow, but, um, you know, any condensation on the roads can freeze and can become very dangerous this time of year. So I said, you get the salt, the, the spray that kicks up, and you actually have to scrub the stuff off your headlights. Um, you know, so it's just not this little glow. So yeah, actually, your headlights are, are projecting out. I said, that, that that's kind of the weird thing, is you spend more time on your headlights. And then, of course, you, you know, you, you clean up your windshield and, and get that pretty good. Um, and eventually, like tonight, I ran through the car wash. And and there were like five or six cars ahead of me, which was pretty good because like this weekend, I can guarantee you the lines will be like twenty deep because it's going to be in the twenties. Um, so people will be going out and, and getting the salt off of the off of their vehicles. But uh, I I've told people I said you know the, kind of the neat thing though when you go through this is when it warms up when you get like a forty degree day it's like summer. I mean, it's like short sleeve weather. It's awesome. You know, where other people be like, brr, this is cold. No, I mean, like 40. I mean, that would be like more than 40, 50 degrees warmer than what we are now. So, um, yeah, even though I'm not a big winter person. I I feel bad, though, for the fact that my daughters um, have not been able to build a snowman or snow people or snow village or whatever um, because the snow won't pack. When it's this cold, the snow just doesn't pack. It's just too powdery. Plus, we don't have a lot of snow. I mean, we only have like maybe two inches of snow, so you can still see the top blades from the grass. And we have a sledding hill in our backyard. Well, it's in parkland, but you can get to it pretty easily. And, um, you know, it it doesn't have enough snow to use. It still has a lot of grass on it. So it's it's tough because, I mean, they want to be out there, and they're still young. And, yeah, so when we do get snow, and we haven't had a snowstorm, yet. Um, I haven't been able to use my snowblower either, which actually I kind of, I, I like using, you know, I love using my snowblower. Um, so yeah, it, it, it is a little bit weird with that, but I hope we do get some snow. I hope we get the sledding Hill for my daughters. I just, I don't want to drive in snow. So let it be on a weekend. Uh, but I actually don't want anybody, you know, to, to be driving in, in snow. So, um, yeah, you know, I, I again, um, before we, we talk a little bit more about some changes here on the Safety Doc Podcast, uh, here is a little bit more about the show.
0: Thank you for tuning in to the Safety Doc Podcast with the nation's leading safety expert, Dr. David Perodin, author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, Welcome back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast.
1: Welcome back. I don't know where you went. Welcome back. All right. I wish you knew the welcome back Cotter theme. I don't, but welcome back to the Safety Doc Podcast. So, um... Yeah, I made some adjustments uh, down here in the studio. I did kind of move the arm, the recording arm, somewhat, so um, it's it's over a little bit more, uh, which is which is good. Um, and of course, did make all those those different setting changes. So i I hope that does result in um, an improved audio audio file. And actually, I think the video is going to be better too because the problem Logitech. I mean, my my Logitech camera, I'm using a C910, which is a nice camera. I've got the C920, but it only does, like, wide view. And the C910 gives you the option of regular or wide, and I didn't kind of want to get the wide view. <laughs> so I'm using my c 9110 And I guess eventually I'll probably just change this all around where I'm, I'm guessing I'm just going to hook up to my camcorder and kind of set that off and do more of a side angle as if, like, you're watching, you know, Howard Stern, or something like that, so it's not going to be the straight on looking here at the safety dock. Um, so I've got a couple things to experiment with, but um, but yeah, the Logitech recording software. I learned that the drivers for Logitech haven't been updated in quite a while, and there was some dispute, I I guess, with Microsoft where not playing well in the sandbox, and and anyway, that was that was another reason to move over here to, to UCAM. And, and to go with a different set of drivers. So what does that really mean for me? I don't know. I'm not I'm not super tech, <laughs> but but again, in the trials that I've done, I mean, I, I, I think this this definitely sounds better and I, I think the appearance is is much better um, too for those of you watching the show in YouTube. Um, and, and I was I was gonna ditch um, Camtasia. And I'll talk about that a little bit. There's a, kind of a funny story with that. Um, but I'm not going to I'm going to keep Camtasia because I, I discovered a way to exit or export my audio file um, in a wave so it's not compressed and and really if I'm able to do that um, on a consistent basis I think I've got a lot of my my issues kind of solved so um, dun, 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 dun. so anyway Camtasia 9. <laughs> This is this is hilarious folks um, and and I'm gonna try to, to bring this up actually right now as we we do this. Um, so bear bear with me. I apologize that I didn't do this earlier. Um, Gamtasia nine um, updates. all right, here we go. Yeah, I think I've got it. Okay. T- Camtasia 9 is a software program by Word, uh, not WordSmith, um, TechSmith. Uh, I-, I like it. You know, it-, it originally was designed so you could capture the screen and then do a t- tutorial and actually move, like, your cursor around. And So if you're teaching somebody how to use a software program or something, it's like, here's what the screen actually will look like for you, and here's the – you press on this, and this will show up and whatever. So for that purpose, it's really good. For what I use it for, for the podcast, is probably not the ideal match. But, you know, I'm not into the Sony studio stuff and all of the special effects because um, most of my audience is on Podbean. And ironically, like, (laughs) and people who I've interviewed on the show and have been on the show have contacted me and said, you know, that they've gotten an uptick from California. And I said, yeah, like, most of my listeners are in California. Like two to one versus any other state, California. Of course, the 405 media airs out of California. And I said, ironically, I also have a pretty strong following in France. So when you look at an international, it's just not like a couple downloads. Like there's an actual pretty solid following out of France for the Safety Doc podcast. So. Thank you to France uh, for that. And I do get contacted from people all around the world that listen to parts of or listen to the show, and will contact about specific things and stuff like that. So, um, but anyway, Camtasia 8 is the version I use, which is older—maybe um, you know five, six years old. They did release some updates of a couple of years ago, but then they basically came out with a new version um, in uh, what was it here 2000. 16, they came out with Camtasia 9. and uh, so the problem with Camtasia 9 r- right off the bat is you could not render into MP3. They got rid of that and, there, and there's a there's an issue with MP3 where you have to pay to render into mp3. There's a workaround with that like um, you can get the the free software audacity to to work around that if you're just doing audio. But anyway, Camtasia didn't have it. I complained it didn't go anywhere. Um, but Camtasia since has so I do have I Camtasia 9 and the various you know subsequent updates 9.1, 9.11, all of that that they've updated. Um so for video, it's good. It's I don't notice that it's a big increase over Camtasia 8. Apparently it renders a little better, but again, you know, this goes on to YouTube, you do YouTube will degrade the video to a certain extent so it's easy to stream and things like that anyway so it's not really it doesn't make a lot of sense to to invest in a really high-end editing program if if your distribution means is youtube and and these shows do have a half-life you know they get a lot of views the first couple days and you know like the first week or so but once you move on to a new show then it kind of tails off and, um, and it's, it's and, and then it's, you know, if, if the topic is relevant, like if it's hurricane and stuff like that, people will spike up on some of the previous shows as they do searches and they'll discover those. Um, but, but yeah, so it doesn't really pay to do, you know, a, a, I'm staying with my cam eight. I'm just, I'm not going to cam nine right now. Um, so anyway, I, I, I want to read this because I, I think this is, this is hilarious. I mean, to me, at least it's hilarious. Um And so on 16 November 2017, Camtasia uh, did an update, and it was 9.1.1. I'm gonna read to you what they indicated they updated. Okay, here we go. Improved rendering performance with behaviors. Fixed a bug with Camtasia crashing when trying to import PowerPoint files. Fixed a bug with media being selected out of view of the timeline. Fixed a bug where the recorder preview shows a white screen. Fixed a bug where tracks could be missing after upgrade to 9.1.0. Fixed a bug with pausing during sync options or captions. Fixed a bug where horizontal scroll could cause a crash. Fixed a crash using animations after installing to a folder with double byte character. I don't know what the hell any of this really means. Um, but here's here's the last one, okay? Other bug fixes and improvements. So I'm like, other bug fixes and improvements? That could be like 100. <laughs> it could be like 100 bugs and improvements. So, like, why why didn't you just kind of say that at the start, you know? Um, of just saying here's, you know, bug fixes and, and improvements and maybe just like two or three. Because there's other bug fixes and improvements, I'm guessing that's, that's a hell of a lot that they had to work on. So I didn't notice any of this because I didn't use the program that much. Um, it has some fancy things like some fancy title, titles and stuff like that. But, again, I mean, that's you're not coming to the show for my, my you know, Overlays and, and and stuff like that. Although I have been com- complimented on the sounders that I've been using, uh, so I appreciate uh, those of you who have who have done that. So um, yes, definitely. But anyway, I think it's kind of funny with Camtasia Nine, where they have the other bug fixes and improvements. Like what 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 <laughs> what do you mean by that? So um, going through uh, going through the anecdotals here. Copyright claims and podcasts. So I, I rendered, you know, a copy uh or podcast uh, 56 and immediately had a couple claims for some audio I used. Now I use my audio from audio blocks, which I pay for a subscription annually. And then audio blocks says, you know, if if there is ever a copyright claim against anything that you've posted on YouTube where you've used audio blocks, audio blocks will go in and, and, and clean that up take care of it and they do they do um it's super easy you post the the you know the link to your youtube video and and enter it you know click it and usually in a day or less like the copyright stuff is gone um but it's weird because people when i put the national anthem into podcasts and i do that a few times like i'll do it as background if i'm talking about something you know patriotic or government or whatever like people will try to monetize the national anthem who have no right to monetize the national anthem whatsoever it's the same file you know i mean monetized by 10 different people but um i just get a kick out of that so um but yeah you know audiobox does do a good job with that and, and it's a service i'm happy with but i but you get that copyright claim. Now, the, the hard part of that, too, is, you know, then they can claim, they can throw ads on your videos for the time until those copyrights have, claims have been removed. Now, um, for me, I don't monetize these videos, so it doesn't, you know, really impact me that much, but it, it's annoying, you know, I don't, I don't want you to have to watch a safety doc and, and go through a lot of, um you know, ads and, and stuff like that, so, and, and that's not the way that the podcast is set up, it's, it's not monetized in that way, so, um, a couple more anecdotes, one is my car charger, um, for my phone, for my Samsung, uh, my cam charger, um, the end of it kind of, like, just split in half, um, I don't know, it must have been the cold that affected it, it's really bizarre, and I tried to like put it back together it's it's like the leg lamp that broke in a Christmas story you know where the dad tries to glue it back together and then puts like the you know the top on it and then it crumbles down there's like nothing I could do with this thing like it just wasn't salvageable but it it sucks because like my current charger must be like a trickle charger and it's a cable you know where, where they give you basically like 5 inches of, of USB you know Connection into the micro USB for the phone, and and I can be. It can take an hour for it to go from like forty five percent to forty eight percent, where basically the other one would would fast charge it. So in an hour, you could go up to forty five to hundred percent. You know, so I'm gonna have to go in. I've checked out Amazon, and I've I've got to do an upgrade there. I'm holding out. I didn't. I've got I have the Samsung S7, which is a good phone. I didn't do the S8. I'm gonna wait for the S9 to come out, and then I'll I'll upgrade to that um, because I think the S9 is gonna have a little better camera. I think the S8 and the S7, when I was doing the comparison, the camera is kind of the same. My brother-in-law over Christmas bought a new Sony um, power, kind of you know, kind of like a PowerShot camera, like a smaller camera. I think it's like five six hundred bucks though. Really takes great photos, and we bought our. Last camera when my daughter, right before she was born, my my youngest. So she's seven now. So it's time to replace it. You know, the technology just advances. And and we're planning, of course, that summer trip out to South Dakota. So I want to make sure I upgrade the camera before then. You know, the phone camera works well for what we do. I mean, we don't do a whole bunch of, like, things with the camera. and And the cool thing when we went to Disney in March... Is Disney has their own camera people, so they had all, stationed all over. So you would just go up to them, and you had your your wristbands, which had your digital information in it, and they would scan your wristband and take your picture, and instantly it would go into a file, and you could access it from your phone. So like one minute later, you know, it would all upload through their super high Wi-Fi, and you could see this picture. So I mean, at Disney, we took with the phone you know maybe a 100 pictures we maybe took with the camera 40 50 pictures and through the disney folks which are all around to take the pictures you know they probably took 3 400 pictures of us so um it that was really awesome but of course when we go out out west that's not going to be you know not going to be an option and, and and i figure you know my girls this will be the camera that i will have When they graduate high school and, and they get into some of those types of things, um, you know, like going to prom or, you know, whatever, going their first day of college. So I figure this will be the camera that'll, that'll be there for a long, long time here for the, for the safety docs. So, um, it does, um, yeah, it's a little, a little bit of a drawback. I won't be able to deduct it off the taxes, obviously with all of the changes in the tax law the safety doc business, um, this, you know, I, I, my consulting business for safety around the country, um, and, and having part of the house here as a, as a business, um, was impacted by the tax law, but ultimately, um, has some pluses and minuses, which kind of just balance each other out. So nothing really big, but it's not like you can deduct that phone or or that camera anymore. So, um, but yeah, you know, I have to get a new charger because um, I'm running into some issues with that. I do have my Jackery, which is that portable charger, and that thing works awesome. Jackery, J-A-C-K-E-R-Y. I'm not doing a commercial for them, but boy, that is a great product. Made of metal, it's heavy. I'm gonna, I'm gonna find it right now. Man, look at this! How organized I am. Okay, so if you're watching, this is this is it. So this is you know this is small. Um, it's, it's metal. This thing's sturdy, and um, I'm getting it in in screen here, which shouldn't be as hard as what I'm doing. And here's the you can see it's jackery. This this will charge my um, Samsung S7, and you just kind of you change the cord around. So you plug it in right now to charge it into the computer. Once it's charged, you reverse it and you plug the USB, you know, regular USB into this, and then plug the the smaller USB into the Samsung. And it'll charge it. And It'll charge it like from zero to a hundred in forty minutes. Um, so I don't know how many times it can can do that, but um, but it, it's been it's been great. I don't use it a lot. I always take it biking with me, though, or if we go on trips, um, in case I, I I need that phone to be to be charged so jackery um and hey before we go on you know what we need to do is we need to learn more here about the safety doc podcast
0: thank you for tuning in to the safety doc podcast with the nation's leading safety expert dr david perodin author, radio show host, university instructor, researcher, expert witness, and consultant. Powerful testimonials. Dr. Perodin has a strong reputation as the go-to safety consultant, and he was still able to exceed our expectations. When we went looking for an expert in the field of crisis preparedness and prevention, David was the single person we pursued. Not easy stepping into the touchier subjects of life, but Dr. David pulls it off. Take a listen. Now, back to Dr. David Perodin and the Safety Doc Podcast.
1: All right, everybody. You got your popcorn, you got your refill on your 32-ounce Pepsi, which uh, my daughters and I went to um, Star Wars The Last Jedi. And, and actually, we have a hometown theater. Um, so, you know, our, our town's 10,000 people, but we have a really, really nice theater. And they have some of the, some of the I don't know, theaters, with, which in the theater, I don't know what you actually call that, but they, um, they have reclining seats. And they're really cool because, they're, you know, you press buttons and the seat reclines back. And there's plenty of room between the seat in front of you and, um, you know, the, the surrounds. on. They, they really do a nice job. We're really blessed to have that in the community where, you know, you want to go see a movie. You basically just drive downtown, which takes you two minutes, and there you are. Um, you know, like when I grew up, I would drive to, like, the neighboring big city to see, like, a movie. Um so we saw Star Wars, and my daughters are eleven and seven. And I think it's rated PG thirteen, and uh, and they, my oldest daughter, was into it because of the Porg, the P O R G, the Porg, which is the the little a penguin type creature that hung around Chewbacca. So she was really into that, and and and. My youngest one, who's seven, kind of knew the storyline somewhat, you know, of of Star Wars. You know, could identify Luke Skywalker and whatever. And of course, like I saw the original Star Wars. <laughs> you know, like I'm the 1977 in the theater Star Wars person, and and just like, oh my goodness, you know, the the special and things like that compared to today. So a few things with Star Wars. One is, um, I I personally. I have mixed thoughts about about the movie because um, I, I I thought there was this this moment at the start. And these aren't spoiler alerts. I'm not gonna. I'm, this isn't a show to analyze the movie, but they had um, you know where there was a communication between the the rebel force and and you know I don't know the alliance or whatever they call them, you know where where Snoke is and things like that. So the dark side and the light side. And, and, and the guy is pretending on the light side that he can't hear what the other guy's saying. And he's kind of making fun of him. He's like, yeah, well, whatever you want to get back to me. Like Princess Leia has this, and but he can hear him the whole time. And it's kind of, the movie starts off that way. And I'm thinking, you know, even adults, I don't know. It, it felt a little too cheesy right off the start to do that because I always took Star Wars, especially the, the trilogy, you know, or, you know, the first three as being like very, pretty serious, you know? Um, so I, I just thought that was kind of downplaying it. And then it was hard for me to see an aged, beat down, obviously depressed Mark Hamill. <laughs> I mean, it was, it was hard. Um, he had the one moment toward the end of the movie when he, he kind of, you know, he returned and, in and kind of restored some of the glory of being the Jedi that he was or is um but for most of the movie i mean he basically had had retired to this this island um to live out his life until he died and and just was was removed from from the Jedi teachings and being a Jedi and um it just kind of burned out and you know it's kind of like that whole thing of It's not that undifferent in life where, um, you know, look at pro sports where the quarterback gets to be 40 years old and retires and and they're just, you know, it's just time. It's just time, you know, Peyton Manning retires, you know, just gets to that point where it's 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 no it's not happening for you anymore. You know, you you got to move on and then the next generation takes over. And but but they portrayed Mark and Hamill in such a just a beat down way. I, I don't know. It, it was it was hard because again I remember watching this eighteen twenty or I don't know how old he was, but I mean this energetic, um, you know, youthful kind of naive, but but you know, powerful, genuine character in the 70s, 77, whatever, and and then to see him like this. It was really hard. It's really hard. So, but I guess we all get there. Um, It was kind of funny because we had our family gatherings at Christmas and I had commented to my wife, I said, you know, some of our relatives, you know, which are like our age, I'm like, boy, they look like they've aged a lot because you don't see them. I mean, you don't see them for the year. And then she said to me, well, you know, you've aged too. I mean, not in a bad way that she said that, but I mean, as a reflective way of saying, well, you've, you know, it's not like everybody around you is aging and you are not aging. I mean, you're aging too. I mean, which is which is true, you know. Um, and uh, and I'm like, yeah, you know, it's kind of weird because um, one of my good friends, very good friends, a couple of years ago turned fifty. Is fifty two now. And when I was growing up, like fifty two is ancient. And you know, I'm I'm forty six, so I've got a couple of years to go before I hit the the fifty. But you know, we're and we're thinking, you know, not too long before retirement and things like that. And just, it, it's just weird. Um, and, and to see your your parents and things like that, you know, reach reach into those those older years and, and, and stuff like that. I, I don't know. I don't know. It's just, it, it's a weird thing. But really, the Star Wars thing. So here's a funny story at the start of Star Wars. So we go in. And uh, my 11-year-old sits to the right of me and to the right of her is my seven year old And... They show the previews obviously before the movie, and they have a preview for some haunted house movie, and it's it's like just freaky scary. And my seven year old is like overwhelms her, like turns her head into the chair, doesn't want to watch this. And my eleven year old turns to me and says, "You shouldn't have brought her here. (laughs) This is too much for her. Like this is this is overwhelming her. This is not good." And I'm like, "It's okay, like you know." And I, I probably should have sat her next to me. But then, you know, I went, you know, leaned over and I'm like, this is just, it's make believe. And I'm like, just, just wait till the show gets going and stuff like that. And, and she was fine. And and it wasn't like, you know, she was got home and, and was terrified and wouldn't go to bed or anything like that. But I mean, I'm like my, yeah, my 11 year old like, dad, this was not appropriate for you to bring her to this, to this, you know, to Star Wars. So the bottom line is both of them went for the nachos and the slushies. So. And and I and I kind of, I, I love the nachos because then they always offer me the jalapenos. And do you want more jalapenos? I'm like, yes. Like I clear an area off. Like I move the nachos and kind of mound them over on one end. Do you want more? Yes. Like this whole end here, like this is a mountain. This will be a mountain of, of jalapenos that you will put over here, please. Thank you. Um, and then they give you the soda, you know, which again, I think is, I don't know, 32, 36 ounces. It's the medium. And then, um, and then they say to you, you have one free refill on this. I'm thinking one free refill. I mean, like, that's like you know, <laughs> this thing's like a pound and a half. So, I never go for the free, re, free refill, but I think it's just kind of funny that they they say that because I'm like, I don't know who takes you up on this. Um, but wow, you know, like if, if I got pulled over on my way home and they, they did a test. Um I I would uh blow a point uh one oh Pepsi into the into the uh breathalyzer right there. It would be completely Pepsi because that would be so much of my blood off of doing that. And you know, wanting to stay fit and things, it's just I don't do that a lot, but I just get a kick out of that. So um hey, you know, guess what? We are only forty seven minutes in and we're gonna get into our topic. But again, you know, this is a different show. I I we we've gotten pretty hard hitting in the last few shows, and I've had some changes here on the safety dock. And as we get into 2018, and I do have some very tight shows that are on the horizon, but we're going to go a little bit longer today. And sometimes I think people prefer some of the longer shows. You look at the length, and it's like you know what? I'm driving up to relatives, or I'm driving to do this. I'm going. I want to download a couple longer shows and and listen to them. I actually do that uh some of the podcasts i listen to i i occasionally will skip over some of the shorter episodes you know if it's like 30 minutes i'm like ooh like it's, it's i don't want to download that because i'm going to go through that easily on my commute i'll download it i'll you know i'll, I'll earmark it so i can excuse me it, listen to it at home but i'm not going to download it for a commute so every once in a while I, I i do search out you know those longer podcasts um And, hey, this is going to be one of them. So, the article is The Irrational Desire Driving Millions and Gen Z into Depression. So, again, we're talking people kind of in that 20 to 35 range right now. Okay. This was by Maggie Parker from Yahoo Lifestyle. January 3rd, 2018, it was posted. And what she did in this, first of all, the way she did this is she took a research article from the Psychological Bulletin or I believe the American Psychological Association, the APA. She, she took a study and and she extracted these points from a study. So a little sloppy and, and you have to, again, have vanity and apply what you wanna share out of this because the research study is very thorough. And there are qualitative statistical, you know, tables in it. So, um, you know, Maggie pulls out some talking points, some discussion points. And I'm, I'm going to go through this with you. It's not very long. But I want to point out um, very clearly, because what we do on this show is we talk about the rhetoric. And it's very easy for people to cite like one source and say like this is the source and this is the fact and this is the reality and all of that and we all know if you listen to the show what you're doing right now you're not the average person you're well well beyond average you are sharp folks and you know that you need multiple sources and and you distill it down and you kind of you come to your 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 consensus then of saying this, you know, these sources kind of all fall in line in this, this area generally. So, so we've got validity here, but you know, this is, this is one study. Now with that, I'm going to get into this. This is actually a pretty good study um, to, to make a statement that's a little far reaching um, as, as Maggie does, but let's get into it. So she, so she's saying, The overwhelming pursuit of perfection is driving young people into increased levels of depression and anxiety, according to a recent psychological study. So again, the overwhelming pursuit of perfection, perfection. So perfection is one of these terms which is subjective, okay? Um... In the way it's used here, the the overwhelming pursuit of perfection is driving young people into increased levels of depression and anxiety, according to a recent psychological study. So perfection can be objective, like if you're trying to build a bridge, you have certain tolerances um, that are objective. You know, like how many millimeters of of you know distance between two metal span or metal or, or, or yeah metal or concrete or whatever spans per fractions, so you have a tolerance. And it's like if it's within this tolerance, like this is acceptable. And the closer it gets to this tolerance that we can measure, you know, we get closer to quote unquote perfection. But you know, every every you will never build two bridges that'll be the same. Like again, there's similarity, there's nothing that's called the same. But when you get into these things like the pursuit of perfection from people, like I want to be the perfect person, what what the hell does that mean? What does it mean? So it's one of those things where there is no perfect. Perfect is vanity. Perfect is subjective. And perfect results to if if you give up perfect to people telling you what perfect is, that's a consensus reality. It's like people saying this singer is perfect. Taylor Swift is perfect. I don't have anything against Taylor Swift, but Taylor Swift is perfect. You know this is perfect, or this style of clothing is perfect, or you know whatever this is perfect. This car model is perfect. Whatever it is but it's kind of this consensus that is usually driven through a huge advertising campaign too because people want to get you if they're selling products and things like that and and tickets you know they want to have you believe this is perfection and, and then you participating somehow in this or emulating this brings you closer to perfection so i can tell you at age 46 one of the things of the dark knight rises the movie um you know, the Batman, The Dark Knight Rises 2008 with Heath Ledger. And I'm so sad that he passed away after that, you know, a drug overdose because um, he was phenomenal. And boy, he would have been awesome like in another Batman movie. Um, but there's a point there where there's a mention where, you know, he's he's basically incorruptible because it's not the money that drives him. Um, it's really the chaos. He just needs to bring chaos. He always needs to live in a state of chaos. So You can't buy him off and all of those things. So it's really hard to manipulate someone who is, is that strong in their own personal image. Like he doesn't care how, what you think he dresses like. And he doesn't, he, he, the outside opinion means nothing to him. He just wants to do things that bring chaos um. So there, there's a little bit of, of, of a link, you know, between something like that and, and, and something like what I'm talking about. But anyway, I watched uh, that movie a few years ago after I had a concussion from a bike accident. And I'll, I'll tell you, it was like my mind actually went like to be almost in the movie. It was crazy. So let's get into the article. All right. Um. Okay. Perfection has, this is from the article, perfection has officially become unappealing. That's the first sentence. Kids these days are more obsessed with perfection than many previous generations were, and the obsession is associated with increased depression and anxiety, according to a new study published in the Psychology Bulletin. So I I looked up the new study, it was linked, and I'll get into that in a little bit. But So the first sentence is perfection has officially become unappealing, okay? And then the sentence that follows that is kids these days are more obsessed with perfection than many previous generations were, and this obsession is associated with increased depression and anxiety, according to a new study, study, whatever. So the first sentence is completely contradicted by the... Long sentence which follows it. So, if perfection has unofficially become unappealing, which to me gives the impression that people just aren't and kids aren't as as interested in perfection, and that they've evolved beyond that or they've recognized that it's vain or whatever, then the story would kind of pick that out, you know. And in but no, it, it doesn't. So that first line should really be like, "Perfection has officially." You know, become the uh, governing um, factor for the lives of youth, or something like that. So, so really, a weird way, Maggie Parker, the author of this, to start this out. And again, I, I mean, I'm not coming into these articles to be critical and to to, to um, rip apart the quality of the article, but um, but th- right off the bat, like I'm like whoa, like, like improving this or somebody, you know, Yahoo, one of your, one of your peers going through this or your member checks, you know, which are member checks are people who go through things and, uh, you know, that, that you place trust in other professionals and and tell you, yeah, this makes sense or this doesn't make sense. But I mean, to, to start this off, like with one sentence and then another sentence, which totally contradicts it, it's kind of weird. Um, so anyway, this study was was um, that they referenced. So I went in, and it's an actual study. I mean, it, it's well done, it's a research publication. And um, it talks about how um, perfection is increasing over time. It was a meta analysis of birth cohorts, the differences from 1989 to 2016 and the study itself looked at 164 samples of for a total of one or 41,641 college students in America, Canada and and in Britain. So um so actually, you know, there's there's a lot of good fundamentals of a study like that. One is you you have smoothing, which means that you have a lot of samples over a long amount of time, like twenty-five years. That's a smoothing effect. Um, so yeah, you know, so that that's that's good. And the other part is you have you have a, a large end size or a large population size. You know, forty-one thousand people. You know, versus like we did a phone survey of eight hundred people, and this is what they said. So th- this this is a solid study um and you know i look that up it's not mentioned anywhere there is it just says like according to a new study which is highlighted and (laughs) clickable so you know so maggie doesn't really like get into the study too much saying here's a study if you want to look at it um you know which which is it a completely different vernacular and and register and stuff like that but anyway um Pretty interesting. So, you know, 1989 to 2016. So let's just kind of frame that out. 1989 was pre-social media. And and I did some research. And the in 1990, the first search engine called the Archie Search Engine came on board. So it was in 1990 that we even had our first search engine. And we know that we had 16 million people... That were internet users 16 million just a, a minute number um in i believe it was the 19 was it 95 or 96 I think it was 95 uh murrah city um or murrah building building in oklahoma murrah building bombing in oklahoma city so this is really the birth of 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 the internet so so you're looking at cohorts basically like a pre internet and then kind of like an internet you know cohort so it does cross that boundary okay so um so it's a quality study i wish you would have gone more into the study because the study the study itself is well is well done um the authors of the study okay so i'm reading maggie's article the authors of the study reviewed prior research on perfectionism, which they broadly define as a combination of excessively high personal standards and overly critical self-evaluations. You know, makes sense, okay. They also conducted their own study among, and we talked about 41,641 American, Canadian, and British college students between 89 and 2016, um, they found that perfectionism increased over time, and it's worst in the United States. Um, okay, to say it's worst in the United States, I, I I don't like I don't like that. I don't I don't like that statement because first of all, you're talking about America, Canada, and British college students. You're talking about um, first world countries, and between 1989 and 2016, you know, with with relatively solid educational systems, um, and you're leaving out—I mean, so many countries that are also first world, but then second world, third world. Um, I I I just I just don't like this. I mean, you 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 need to come in somewhere, Maggie, and say this is—we looked at three first world countries, which are all very similar in as far as democracy um and and how they operate there's there isn't a ton of difference between America, Canada and and Britain. You know, there's some but you know, you add in China and Japan and Norway, yeah, now you get some some pretty significant um governmental and, and cultural changes in that. So this is pretty uh homogeneous um so I don't I don't know. I, I to say it's worse in the United States, yeah. You know, whatever. I, I I don't believe that. I have I have friends that live in England that I talk to on a regular basis, they're our neighbors, and I, I I I I don't know. Um but anyway. So um what did I say in here? Part of this is technology and practices for improved technology. Tolerances. I don't know what the hell that even meant, but um, this is why I, I write notes, and I I'd write a lot of notes on this. But um, anyway, so we we are becoming more. Oh, here's where here I was going with this. So basically, saying like perfectionism. The Maggie is saying perfectionism has increased over this time. Well, yeah, Maggie. Obviously, because. Technology has increased over this time. We make car doors that, when we close them, we don't. We, you know, it, it's quiet. We don't hear this big thunk. <laughs> um, you know, when I was talking to a, a friend of mine who who uh, works in school safety, he goes across the country and looks at the physical safety buildings and says, "Dave, you know, like a lot of buildings." In the early 1900s, the architects were pretty imprecise. So there's like spaces that lead to nowhere and stairwells that just kind of terminate and, you know, don't go anywhere. And it's just the way that it was. Um, so we've just become more precise. Technology has made f- things more prefi- precise. Com- you know, the the computer, the CAD graphics and things like that. So I think the fact is it's not perfectionism as much as it is. We've just had the tools that have evolved that float all boats Float all boats which have increased to more efficiency um, in electronics and in production and things like that. And even like doing this podcast or talking on a telephone, I mean, how much more reliable that is. I mean, um, internet, power lines, you know, um, the way that, uh, again, you know, we, we, we buy things um, television sets, you know, you used to have the tubes burn out on them. Um, every few years, you have to have that replaced. Well, you can buy a TV now that can last 20, 30, 40 years. So um, I, I, I think there's a missing part in this of just saying, yeah, te- technology has, has just evolved. And because of that, perfectionism, we've just decreased the tolerances. Um, we've become more precise in our tolerances for how we do things. And that ripples its way through academia and things like that, too. Um, We've we've become more precise. Not a bad thing, necessarily, but we've become more precise. So, um, okay, there are multiple dimensions to this cultural phenomena. As the study refers to it, including self-oriented perfectionism, which is the pressure one puts on oneself to be perfect. Okay, which has kind of always been there. Social prescribed perfectionism, we see more of that with people who subscribe to social media, pressure from peers. That's always been there to some extent, but it's probably more with social media. It's not probably, it is more with social media because it's not your immediate set of peers, you know, you're, you're, you're broadening that out to many more people. You know, it could be people from different states, continents, things like that. And also the pressure one feels from society to be perfect. So, so they're saying there's mul- she's saying there's multiple dimensions to this cultural phenomena of people feeling this need to be perfect, including self-oriented perfectionism. Yeah, you know, I guess, um, you know, it's the commercials for like the plastic surgeon. I've seen and we've had those on our TV for some reason. When I see those, what I what I pick out of that is like, okay, they need more business. <laughs> business is slow right now, so they're throwing those commercials out there. Um, So, um, and, and, you know, the, the pressure for one to be perfect. And again, perfect is, is vanity. No, there is no definition, subjective definition of a perfect person. Um, and then the socially prescribed perfection, which, you know, I, I think is coming from social media and I'll talk about that. The article does get into that later. And again, the pressure one feels from society to be perfect, which is probably not any different than what she just said before in socially prescribed perfection. Um, And then she also added in here something which I thought was interesting. She said, the pressure one puts on others to be perfect. Um, I don't know if that's changed a lot. It might have changed subtly. It might have changed subtly where through social media – Um, you know, people posting pictures of family trips and things like that. And then other people look at those and they're like, well, I didn't take a family trip that looked this fun or I haven't taken a family trip. So like I am lesser than this person and their family or something like that. I don't know. Um, again, I'm not on social media. I don't have Facebook. Um, I, I have Twitter so I can, you know, let you know what's happening here on, on the show and things like that. But it's not really, I don't get into Twitter discussions with people. I'm not on LinkedIn, Instagram. It's funny. One of my friends over Christmas sent me an email and he said, I have a hard time finding you. <laughs> um, he was in the Navy for a number of years. and But you can find, I mean, if you Google me, you can find my webpage, safetyphd.com, and then find my contact information there. And I actually had another friend do that, too, from like 20 years ago. I said, well it's not like I'm not out there, but I'm like, I'm not, I'm just, you know, I tried to Facebook friend you, but I couldn't find it. I'm like, well, it's not on Facebook. Like I don't I don't I was at one point, like four years ago, you know, but why? To me it means nothing. Um and but anyway, so the research so so this is interesting. So she kind of gets into this and and she makes this this these pretty big claims, this cultural phenomenon. I'm like, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if I totally buy into to all of this and that this is all new i mean because in in, i remember going to high school i mean you could tell who the cool kids were and the cool kids weren't i mean i would think i was you know more or less into that cool kid group but i mean we had um I, i i just think this this has always this has always been there um i don't think this is this is anything new you know, advertising has gotten better, but I mean look at the old days. I mean, we had I mean, I remember growing up with the Hams beer commercials, which were directed at kids. I mean, it was a bear drinking a beer, you know, an animated bear. <laughs> and uh, you know, in the the Marlboro man and stuff like that. So, you know, that this was this is what it meant to be macho and cool. So, I don't know. I don't know. I, I, I think there's a big leap in this article. And, and then here's a bigger leap. Okay, so then she goes on and says, the research presents three reasons for this shift. So the shift is saying from 89 to, to 2006 um, that the, the college students have, have focused much more in on perfectionism and it's having a very negative impact on their lives. So then she gets into the three reasons. And now she really ramps it up. So she goes from a pretty easy to digest vernacular to now getting into some really complicated terminology. So I'm gonna go through this and I'll break it down. So first, so she says the research presents three three reasons for this shift. the shift the rise of neoliberalism, um uh, increasingly anxious. That's that's the first one. Second one is increasingly anxious and controlling parents, and the third is increasing power of the meritocracy. So I'm like, oh my goodness, like Maggie, you know, what happened here to you? <laughs> so um, you know, the, the register of, of this article just ramps up um, monumentally, you know, once once you get into it a few paragraphs. So um you know, which, which I don't think is good writing. I, I I think you keep your vernacular pretty pretty steady. And if you do something like this, you give examples, which she didn't. So I'm going to give you examples. So the first one is she's saying the research presents three reasons for this shift. One is the rise of neoliberalism. So basically, what she's getting at here, or what the study's getting at, is saying the the free market is is kind of um, exploding right now. You know. Like employees aren't going to a job that they anticipate being there for 30 or 40 years and then getting a pension. No, I mean, they expect that they will kind of be a free agent. They'll put in their time. Some of them want to work from home and telecommute. Not everybody wants to work with everybody else. That's another thing. A lot of people are seeing themselves more as free agents. Um, We've seen the advent of Fiverr. You know, I've used that myself where I've bid out some jobs for the podcast, you know, some work on some voiceovers and and you look at the reviews that people have and stuff like that so it it becomes this market capitalism and it becomes a worldwide phenomena um so you know this neoliberalism this this free market kind of taking over so and (coughs) excuse me i cough because it's the humidity down here is like low we we had we've been in this house 15 years and the uh the, the bathroom, the second bathroom upstairs, the door on it actually warped kind of like a taco a little bit. Like my young, my oldest daughter's like, I can't close the door, won't lock. I'm like, yeah, oh, let me check it out. I'm like, what in the world? But it's because the humidity is just like so low right now because we've had the temperatures, you know, are just like super low and there's very little moisture outside in the form of snow. So, so everything just kind of decreases. With that said, not an issue up at my parents' home where they have a de- not a dehumidifier they have a humidifier that that looks like a a spaceship from War of the Worlds. I, this thing has got to be like three foot tall. Or, or it's just creepy looking. And I re- I remember being a kid, you know, and getting sick. Um, and you'd have that upper respiratory chest, you know, infection type stuff, and it would be two things: the Vicks vapor rub on the chest. And then my parents would bring in the humidifier, which I was freaked out about because this thing looked like a flying saucer. I mean, it, it had, it, you think they would design these things so they wouldn't be like as as <laughs> freaky for kids to look at? And this thing just looks scary. It looked like a flying saucer with a hood on top of it. And this thing would run and make this weird noise. And I had a small room in in the house i grew up in my parents had built a house after i graduated high school which is much larger but um i had a small room tiny room and uh and and so you'd wake up and the whole room would kind of be like damp because of this i'm not sure it helped you much more than it probably like bred bacteria and stuff like that but i i kind of dreaded that thing um but anyway yeah So my parents have have, have like the mothership version, the dreadnought version of that in their house. I I honestly have never seen a humidifier as big as a plug-in the wall humidifier like like they have. But anyway, I digress. So yeah, neoliberalism, free market. That's not a bad thing though. You know, it's it's not. If you have hustle, if you have skill, I think Neoliberalism um, lets you maximize your talents and your strengths um, to, have, to generate different income streams and give you flexibility. So anyway, the second, increasingly anxious, controlling parents. Yeah, th- it, I, I did a show um, a couple of podcasts ago about the um, parents outside of Cleveland, Ohio, who nixed the eighth-grade class trip to... Washington D.C. because they said, "Hey, it's too dangerous in Washington D.C., so we're not going to have our our kids go there by bus." Um, D.C. is a terrorist target and all that. And I, I did the math on, I did the st- the statistics on that and said, you know, likelihood of being killed in a bus accident was the same as if you're in Washington in Washington D.C. It was the it was the same, you know, for the for that. But now, yeah, so that and that has con- big 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 consequences um, because basically what you're telling those kids right there, um, you talk about, uh, see, see how this links to perfectionism? I, I, I don't get that connection. Increasingly anxious and controlling parents. I think that that impacts reconnaissance and kids discovering the world for themselves versus having parents kind of tell them, you know, it's like the movie, The Lorax where, um, you know, nobody knows what's beyond the walls. Um, uh, you know, so it's kind of this reconnaissance and Aaron Clary talks about that. He has a book, reconnaissance man gets into that on a deeper level, but this is where parents are basically saying, we'll tell you everything that you need to know about the world and, and, and keep you safer in this environment. So I, I I don't know, um, where that perfectionism comes. I, I, it, it doesn't seem to fit right there. Number three, and the increasing power of meritocracy. So meritocracy is basically that people are selected per skill or merit. So this kind of comes back to that neoliberalism. Um, now, I'm not sold on that because, you know, with affirmative action, um, I, I I just do not see where necessarily your skill or merit, and, and how would that be different than in, in the past? Somewhat different because, I mean, you might get a job where, you're in that job and, and you do your job duties and you're you're pretty safe in your job. You have a union and you're protected and whatever. But the meritocracy now, I mean, I know a 20 year old who thrives in a voiceover business and also records um, um, books to to a speech, you know and and for clients and has a backlog. And he has great reviews, so meritocracy is that's his skill set. He has high merit, he's he's in demand, he's doing great. Um, he doesn't have to deal with all of this HR mess and all this overhead and all this other junk. I mean, he's his his, his own person in this. So does that does that create um, perfectionism and, and sense of, I don't know. I mean, I would say in that case, in, in what I just told you, this this 20-year-old. It brings out the best in him. I mean, he's a professional. Um, and, you know, we look at 20 as young. But back in 1920, 1930, you know, you're a 20-year-old. You're, you know, probably already married. had a few kids. You know, maybe working a family farm or already being a factory for two, three years. Or, you know, if you're, or if you're in a professional trade, I mean, you weren't going to school 10 years to be a doctor. Maybe shorter. But um, I don't know. So I, I don't subscribe to this whole, the research presents three reasons for this this shift deal i I, so this is why i want to go through this again because you read this um anybody reads this and they become the expert they cite the one article and it's like this is how it is and so this is stuff they talk about like a christmas or you know and actually you got to be pretty intellectual to even be interested by an article like this um But there's a lot more to this. So let's go on. Neoliberalism and its doctrine of meritocracy have combined to shape a culture in which everybody is expected to perfect themselves and their lifestyles by striving to meet unrealistic achievement standards. Um, So I don't know. I don't know. I don't subscribe necessarily to that. I mean, you know, um, like like the guy, the 20-year-old who has the recording you know, the, what is the unrealistic achievement standard? I mean, he's a go-getter and he's done what he's done. I mean, and the, you know, I've read the stories of, of, you know, people who have created their own businesses or, you know, the 18-year-old young man who had a lawn mowing, a lawn care business and had like five, six people employed for him and was clearing like 40 grand a year and stuff like that. I mean, I, 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 this is all under the premise of you have to go to college to be successful. So that kind of overlays in, into this. And again, remember, we you know we have the Department of Ed, Ed which didn't exist until the, the 70s anyway. So these unrealistic achievement expectations. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. I, I think that comes into, let me read this again. Neoliberalism and its doctrine of meritocracy have combined to shape a culture in which everybody's expected to perfect themselves and their lifestyles by striving to meet unrealistic achievement standards. May, maybe for... High school kids and college kids, high school kids who are having to take tests, which aren't really, don't have any ground at meeting. Like, why am I doing this? What does this test like really mean for me? Or college students who are having to take GR, the GRE and other things. And then a lot of that's being dropped now, you know, because they are saying and kids are, they're just not doing it. There's, I'll do something else. Um, maybe that's it, you know, that they, they have these, these, these goals that you have to get into. This really gets into where you're measuring attainment. Like, you have to attain this to be successful versus, like, growth. And who's to say what's successful? Like, I remember years ago, I taught an inclusion class. And there was a guy who went who lived in the same community where I graduated college. And he went on to perfect. He he dropped out of college after a year or two, and he perfected some filter system, filtration system. Started his own company very successful. successful. And I believe the movie Titanic with Leonardo DiCaprio. Um, he he came up with um, the either the patents or whatever the filtration system for the water that they were using on the sets as they were sinking the ship and reshooting the scenes and whatever. But the guy's a multimillionaire and all of that. And um, so again, this this is kind of harnessing this of saying, you know, you you got it. You know, we see this right now, like all these kids, they've got to go to college. They've got to go to college. No. Okay. For parents, this new culture confers an additional burden on top of their own duty to succeed. They are also responsible for the successes and failure of their children. I, yeah, I mean, I I, I think that's true that that's happening. Okay. That that is, that parents are feeling that. Um, You know, that's been around though for, again, generations. I, I, I don't think that's anything new, but I do think, Parents definitely are are feeling that they're being judged by their performance of the kids, especially when they're so willing to put this stuff out on social media. Like, hey, my kid just got an interview at Honeywell or did this or did that or whatever, and they're putting a down payment on this house and whatever. When you're sharing all of this stuff and, and it, you're opening yourself up for feedback and a lot of personal things that you wouldn't have shared before, I don't know. So I think that's kind of a stretch. I think it's a stretch. And and, and this is pointed in a very negative light. And I'm like, ooh, no. Like if you're a go-getter and you can generate multiple income streams and you can get into maximizing playing to your strengths, Marcus Buckingham, be one to look up. Marcus Buckingham, playing to your strengths. I believe it is a trombone player wanted if you want to do a Google search. You can come across some of of his materials, um, some videos. They're really great, really great. Um, and they're short, short clips, Um, basically talks about playing to your strengths. You know, it's like if you go to school, you get a report card and, and, you know, you get a, you get three A's and and one D. The D thing, you know, you can put some effort in trying to get it better, but if it doesn't get better, that's just not your thing. So like (laughs) work on the A things, keep those A's, don't sacrifice those to bring your D up to a C and then your A's become B's, you know? So, um, really good advice there. Um, okay, so Dr, Dr. Barbara Greenberg, a clinical psychologist specializing in family and relationship issues, singles out another important factor, social media. So, yeah, obviously it was coming down to this. Um, so, she says, these people grew up being constantly evaluated on social media, she points out. Okay, the, true... True, um, you know, the more so later than, than earlier. I mean, in, you know, your college kids in 1990 weren't evaluated on social media, didn't exist. Um, but, okay, I want to pull this out right now. I'm going to bring this up later, but these people grew up constantly being evaluated on social media. Social media is optional. Social media is optional, okay? It's optional. You do not, have to sign up for Facebook or Instagram or happygram or Smileygram or whatever it is right now. You don't have to do this or be on LinkedIn, LinkedIn and all this other stuff. this is it's free and why is it free because they harvest all of your data. They have the software engineers who design video games and know where you get dopamine rushes and video games and how, you know, people are addicted and stay with video games. Those are the same folks that they are employing. So they understand when you're getting things like likes on, you know, your, your Facebook page and your other social media. Because what do people do? I mean, they get a buzz and they check it and they, you know, oh my goodness, like somebody shared this or like I've got seven likes or stuff like that. And I remember, I know, I was part of it in the early days. Um, And you, and, and you get addicted to it. You get conditioned to it. And you become externalized. And that's your validation. So again, these people grew up being constantly evaluated. I don't know. I don't know. Again, if it was evaluated as much on social media as it was the you know, the, the rat that, you know, knows if they press this button, they get a, get a pellet, you know, or, you know, I, I, I just, I just don't, I don't, I don't know. But, um, so the other part is, so again, let's look at this. Facebook is free. So you can get on Facebook and you have all of your so-called benefits on Facebook and your 3000 friends, which you've met 10 of them. Um, facebook then is is taking all of harvesting your data and everything that you are posting out there and they're selling it to advertisers (laughs) and uh that's how they're making their money um so you know you're being used your data is you're being harvested you're being manipulated you're being marketed to um you're a pawn for what i mean what what do you really get out of facebook i mean let's be honest what do you really get out of it i don't I, i don't know When I when I gave up Facebook, you know, it it wasn't like I had to wear the nicotine patch for three months to get off. I got I dumped it and it was fine. I have no desire to get back on. It saves time. I, I I really it doesn't matter. I don't care. I don't care. Um, and and it's just a popularity contest. Um, and you know, I've I've heard professionals refer to it as the Facebook fallacy, where it's almost destroyed families. Because they they look at things and they'll be like, "I we don't measure up to this, or we have to top this." And again, what what are people posting on Facebook and in social media? They're posting their very best. They're you know the the one photo out of a hundred that they've taken, or they're they're writing their their a narrative that's going to be very um, positive toward them. And and the people that are so addicted to the likes for the external validation, I don't know. So again th- this is all optional. So it's portrayed when 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 this is this is written as portrayed as it's almost like you have to do this. It's like the civilian service, you know, thing you have to sign up with when you're 18 at the post office. Like you have to do this. You have to enroll in this. No, you don't. It's optional. It's completely optional and don't so don't do it. Like, you know, um you don't have to do this. So this whole sympathy of these people are value and social. No, that's optional. So you you're leaving this out. This is optional stuff. Okay, and again, it's because it's free because they're harvesting your information. And they're they're tracking what you're doing. They're selling it to advertisers. they are having you know certain advertisements you know show up for you, and and then they have people working behind the scenes to be feeding you the little pellets of knowing if you get the likes or, or the shares and the happy buttons and all of that. It is it's it's under the same psychology that came from Dr. Seuss during World War II. You know when they eventually found out that the um, combat divisions the The ground combat positions, you know, it was all badges to get them motivated. It was giving them the blue shoulder patches. And that's all they're doing here. So, again, this is a choice. That's a choice you make. Okay, so let's go on. So what's so bad about striving to be perfect? It can be increased depression and anxiety. Yeah, I mean, certainly it is because, I mean, you're going to be like, I'm never going to, to match what this is. And I think the flip side of that is, like, if you if you become so narcissistic, too, of like, well, I'm better than whatever, then you have to maintain this betterness. <laughs> I I don't know. I don't know. Um, research among college students and young people, for example, has found self-oriented perfectionism to be positively associated with clinical depression, anorexia, nervosia, and early death. The study authors point out it is... Also associated with greater uh, physiological reactivity, for example, elevated blood pressure and ill-being, negative effect, in response to life stress and failure. They even identified a link to suicidal ideation. All of that, I believe. I'm not questioning any of that. But again, this is something you subscribe to and, and you give your locus of control external. And you give, we talked about subjective and objective reality in an earlier podcast, within the last, I don't know, five, eight podcasts. And you are giving up your own definition of yourself. You're not going introspective. You are giving it up to be like this consensus um, reality of, of like, well, this is how I am because this is what a majority of people feel about me. And these are people who have no idea about your context and situation. You've only given them so much information and why the hell are you doing this anyway? Why, does, why do people have to know this much about about you? But again, it's because people are looking to, to be validated. And we, we see that in grooming behaviors. And we not only see it in kids, but we see it in 20 year olds. Um, you know early early 20 year olds who, who are seeking attention from groomers. Um, and not attention of, you know, like you look really great and all of that stuff, but attention where, you know, they have a webcam on or some pictures and, and the groomer is just saying, they see something in the background and they focus in and say, hey, I, I see that you went to, you know, whatever concert or that you've been in like this place you visited on vacation. Hey, I was there too, even if they weren't. And it's really cool and it's really cool you went there. So they start to build these these bonds and validate people on some of the decisions. And then if people say, you know, like, hey, my, my parents thought it was ridiculous, you know, that I, that I took this trip. The other person jumps in and says, no, that was like the right thing to do or whatever. So, you know, they start to put this split in there, which I'll talk about more th- with Hector Solis from the Awareness podcast um, in a few weeks. But anyway, so, yeah, th- this stuff can be really bad. You, you give your your how you feel about yourself becomes externalized and it manifests itself in psychological and also in physiological um, as as far as blood pressure and ill-being. Um, so, yeah. All right. So I, I'm going to say, you know, l- let's go back to striving for perfection. Th- the goal for anybody should be you strive for growth from baseline. You figure out your own baseline and you strive for growth. So if my baseline is I want to start bowling. <laughs> I used to bowl on a league. I, the Bakery Boys, actually, when I was in high school. And we had a loaf of bread on the back of our bowling shirts. And I think we were called, I think we had the name of the bakery, but the bakery boys. Um, and so like I knew where I was starting out on my bowling average and I practiced and I wanted to get better on my average. I didn't want to, my, my attainment wasn't to bowl a perfect game, a 300 game. I mean, that's rare. If it would have happened, it would have been kind of cool, but I wanted to grow from baseline. So whatever my average was, I wanted to get better from my average. And at some point I knew that would level off. It's fine. You know, I was just doing it for wrecking and leisure and hanging out with with my teammates and having a good time. But here it's growth from baseline. And this whole perfectionism, perfectionism is not growth from baseline. Perfectionism is attainment. And attainment is unrealistic in a lot of situations. And, and attainment completely shuns growth from baseline. So, yeah, I, I, I mean, it, it's absolutely crazy. So, you know, like I bike, I love biking. I bike 70, 80 miles, you know, several, several times um, throughout the year. Love doing it. And, and people will ask me, well, do you do marathons? Do you do like, you know, these biking events? Do you get in? And I'm like, no, I don't. I, I don't because I don't like the competitive aspect of it. Like, I don't want to feel, well, you know, it can be for sure. I, I, yeah, I guess I get all that. Okay. I just like being alone biking <laughs> where I'm not I, I know there's not a timer going that I'm not gonna cross some line and you know whatever and then it's like okay you did this in one hour and whatever minute. So well then you have that and of course you're gonna want to improve upon that and you're gonna know who finished the fastest and stuff. I'm like I don't care. You know, I it doesn't matter to me. You know I block off my seven, eight, nine hours. I load up and I go out and I bike. And that's why I don't typically bike with other people. And I just do my own thing and that I like it. Yeah. You that's know, the way it is. And I can stop and, you know, um, check out some things and, but anyway, um, so we talk about growth from baseline and attainment. Perfectionism is a team. It's not realistic. So, um, here we go. We're going to keep reading. It's not just the self-inflicted perfectionism that causes problems. Socially prescribed perfectionism predicted increases in depressive symptoms and suicidal ideation over time, but to a much greater degree, says the study. Let me read that again. It's not just the self-inflicted perfectionism that causes the problems. Or someone just saying, I need to be like perfect. I need, my hair need, needs to be perfect. My weight needs to be perfect. My job needs to be perfect. Um, you know, all of that stuff. Um socially prescribed perfectionism predicted increases in depressive symptoms and societal ideation over time that that there's no better example for me than seeing the car commercials at christmas where people are <laughs> opening up you know the they're they're opening up the blinds at, at christmas and they're looking out in the driveway and then you know they kind of got the frown and Next day, open up the frown. The Christmas morning, they open and there's a brand new Lexus with a big bow on it. It's like, oh, great. I'm like, first, like no one has ever given me a car for Christmas. And I'd be like, it really, <laughs> really? Like, that's your standard? You know, like if you don't get the car, like the rest of your day is like, this sucks. I'm going to be in my robe. You know, I'm going to eat donuts and eat, eat eat chips and just hang out in front of the TV. I'm like, it, it's a car. It's a thing perfectionism isn't, isn't you getting this Lexus. And, uh, and then it's the, I mean, if that's the case, <laughs> the rare case, and, you know, I don't, I don't see a lot of people, at least in my neighborhood, you know, doing those type of things for Christmas, but then, you know, you buy it, then you have to be super protective probably of it, where you park it, any little scratches on it, maintaining it, you know, getting it all detailed and, and you become this, 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 servant to this machine it's just ridiculous so um anyway um another analysis found socially prescribed perfectionism was positively related to a range of psychological disorders and symptoms of disorders including social phobia body dissatisfaction bulimia nervosa and suicidal ideation and had the greatest relationship between other dimensions of perfectionism and depression and anxiety, which, which we kind of already talked about. So, again, these things these, these things are you, you sign up for these, and and this is where you need a member check. I talked about that too. In research, um, in research, you have a member check. You have people that you go to who understand your study i mean it, it you know you can include you know findings and and some things like that you, you can't give away i you know confidential information but these are people who say like you're 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 not getting what you're you intended to get from your question set or your, you know whatever or you need to look at something different or i think you're on the right path or not people don't go to your member set. This is where you need to really be honest with your friends and not your friends who are your 2000 Facebook friends and trying to be real in a virtual environment. This is a real with real people and, and saying, um, let me know like if I'm being too critical of myself or on the other hand, if I'm being not, (laughs) um, you know, critical enough of maybe some of my situation, um, you know, it, it, it's like if someone is complaining really about, like, their job, like, my job sucks, like, I hate this job or whatever, and, you know, maybe it, it, you have a member check, someone who trusts you well enough to, to come in and say, you know what, like, all jobs uh, have, have detractors, and you have a pretty good setup here. You know, you, you maybe need to take a break from this, get a vacation, um, and, and some other things, but for you to come in and to, come you know, complain about this, you got a pretty good benefit set and whatever, you um, you know, you can always change things if you want, but, you know, maybe, maybe you need to change your, look, just now anal, analyze your perspective on this. Someone who honestly does that. That, I really respect that. You don't have this anymore, and you don't have a virtual environment, because no one's vested in you. They don't, they're not going to put the time into that. Um. So, yeah. And again, the suicidal ideation. I mean, we see this in commercials. I mean, everybody's perfect in commercials and and uh, and you're getting marketed to you know so aggressively these days. <laughs> I laugh because you know I, I go into ya not Yahoo, um, I go into Google, and then I get my regular emails. But then now they have you know for a couple of years they've had that what promotion section. So I get all my ads from you know all the different companies, and LL Bean is one. Like trying to unsubscribe to LL Bean, forget it. It just never happens. Like, Dave, you'd look great in this flannel shirt. I'm like, i like, I probably would, but I don't need it. So forget it. <laughs> and, you know, I tried to unsubscribe, but, you know, I, I can't. Or, you know, for this, uh, you know, you, you're you're going to be a lot. It's going to be much more enjoyable biking season if you get these special bike socks with this four weave wool, you know, thing and whatever. I'm like, yeah, oh, it could be, you know, but I've got like five pairs of bike socks and I don't really need to update my bike socks and getting a better pair of bike socks isn't probably going to make a hell of a lot of difference in my biking experience because my bike socks you know are made for biking and yeah I mean the toes might be coming out of them a little bit or whatever but um you know (laughs) it's fine you know it's fine It's, it's like I remember going in fifth sixth grade basketball when the Air Jordans came out and you'd wear the Air and I got some Air Jordans you know and, and you instantly walk on the court and, and you know, you're thinking it's tra- the, the shoes are going to transform you into this awesome player. And they don't, you know. <laughs> They're shoes. They're shoes just like any other shoes. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, so, anyway. All right. Here we go. When you are constantly under a literal and figurative microscope, the microscope being social media, of course, you're going to become more... I'm moving us on here. Um, self-conscious, says Dr. Greenberg. When self-consciousness and perfectionism increase, anxiety and depression increase as well, they go hand in hand, she says, supporting the study. True, true. I mean, none of this is false. Like, social media can be very detrimental. I mean, you you have to be in control of your social media, but social media is designed to be addictive, um, you know, there's studies out there that say you know Pinterest for ladies in their 40s is extremely addictive, and um, there people have have compared them. You know, it you look at the ideal lives, like um, somebody's bored of like my my summer trips or my ideal trips, and you you're you're always in this constant comparison mode. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's kind of like stating the obvious, you know. Yeah, stating the obvious on on this. Um, so, I remember it was it was back, you know, like I don't know, fifteen years ago. There was a really good running back for the Minnesota Vikings football team, National Football League, and he said after I think he was like two three years in, and he was he was having some great seasons, and and he left, and it wasn't because of like you know the the thought of brain injury and and things like that, but he said, you know we would get into uh, practices and before games and the coaches would be like, this is war, it's battle against you and whatever. And, and this guy is pretty intellectual. He's like, no, it's just, it's, it's not really war. It's a game, you know, it's I'm getting paid a lot to do this and all of this, but it, this isn't life and death war. I will leave this. I will go home to my family. You know, I will, you know, play games with my kids and monopoly and things like that. I mean, there's, this isn't war. War is war. You know, so and he just left. It. He said, "I just don't, you know, don't subscribe to this anymore." So, um, yeah, it, it, I think more and more people feel they need an audience. Was my thought for their work, their lives, and and it's like this. You know, the Truman Show. Remember the Truman Show with, with Jim Carrey, where he was um, on video all the time and he didn't know it until like you know the very end. And so his whole life is just a movie that people are watching and he's not aware of it. But this is this is like a more sentient Truman show where you are aware that people are watching you and you want people to watch you. I mean, like the Kardashian type stuff and all of this. I mean again, I don't I don't I don't watch mainstream media and I don't watch all these goofy, quirky shows and stuff like that. I go in and I find podcasts that I want to have. Intellectual podcasts I seek out um, Hector Solis and Awareness Podcast Larry Roberts and Readily Random uh, Marianne West and the Sustainable Living Podcast Aaron Clary and the Clary Podcast I mean this is a DT and uh, the Black Brigade uh, the brief blackbrigade.org. I mean th- this is where I'm going to, to get my information um, you know from for what I would say I don't know entertainment, intellectual, enter, I, I don't even know if it's entertainment, so it intellectual debate, intellectual, people that take perspectives on things and, and dive into things. Like, DT did a great job um, talking about Bitcoin and how Bitcoin is actually, um, you know, it has a top limit of, what, 20, 21 million coins, but it is, it doesn't have a, a base limit. It doesn't have a floor. It is Divisible into like eight places, so like you could you know divide this so it would be worth. You could have more divisions of Bitcoin than all of the currency that's currently out there. You know, like the fiat currency that the U.S. has, the the dollar. So, you know, things like that. I'd love I love to learn. You know, plus people just have their own personalities and and they and, and they they do this because they're very passionate about it and they don't have the the media interest and they don't have to play to an audience where if they upset somebody. Kellogg's polls, their Fruit Loops commercial, you know, and and stuff like that. So, um, so yeah, yeah. And one thing I miss doing is reading. You know, like I I, I miss. I have some authors I, I really enjoyed most of its history, and you know, some of that stuff in science fiction, and and people kind of talking about like what it was like growing up in whatever years, or interviews of of people. Um, you know, who have done some pretty extraordinary things in life, you know, like hiked all these mountains or all these travels or things. I just, you know, I like to read that, get that perspective. Um, But you're in control of that. So let me go, keep going on this. The things that kids post on Instagram and Snapchat are celebratory moments, Dr. Greenberg says. True. They're celebratory moments. You know, it's like, hey, I did this. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I was here, you know, like at TGI Friday's, and like I, I downed this burger. Like, look at it. Now it's gone. And it was awesome. It was great. Or, you know, something like something like that. You know, it's instant. And I think, you know, there's been studies, like even professional athletes, like tennis players, like the the highest level tennis players. And they'll say, um, when you won that championship, ex- tell me all about that. And they'll say, Yeah, it was like 15 minutes where I was like on a super high. It was like awesome, totally celebrating. And then I came down from that. And then it's like, you know, kind of just back to work. Then you're at the top of the mountain and you got to maintain that. And I remember coaching basketball. And uh, we won a championship. And we won a league championship back in 1992. It's actually online if you search for it. Um... You can find it, um, but we won a, a league championship in ninety two, and then we won a post tournament, a, a post league tournament, which was big, like sixty four teams or something like that. We won it in double overtime. It was a phenomenal game. But um, I remember feeling like super. I mean, just on this high after that. It was so awesome that we we did that, and then. Uh, afterwards it kind of sunk in you know like that later that night you know um it's kind of down a little bit because i was i was down because i really loved the coaching and the practices and that was done the season was done the kids were going to be moving on and you know you research and that's not uncommon that's not uncommon for athletes to feel like even like bikers like my first when i really got into the long treks of biking like 70 80 miles um I would get home and after an hour or two I would I'd kind of feel a little bit down because the biking was such a, a high and, and there is like an actual you know dopamine type high that that happens when you hit that you know like kind of the runner's high and stuff like that and uh you know where and then I'd get back out on the next ride and it you, you, kind of crave that um but that was pretty natural um so so yeah anyway, these, these kids are getting the, these little shots of dopamine. And the gaming engineers who are putting the video games together know exactly what they're doing and how to do this. and and they've they're working with brain specialists on you know when somebody gets this accomplishment or whatever, they get a little dopamine dab, little squirt, little injection there, dopamine into the system and 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 then that keeps them going a little bit longer and it's in, in that addiction. So, yeah, there's a, there's a whole bioscience behind this, not really talked to, but, and this stuff fades. There's a fatigue of effect in this. Um, you know, it's kind of like, think of a drug user. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I, I've listened to Sean iams Fuller who talked about his, his addiction to numerous, you know, pretty hardcore drugs 10, 12 years ago he's a thriving comedian now and and you know that's in his past but he, t- he openly you know talks about it in interviews but you know after a while it takes more and more and more to kind of get that same high and that's exactly what's happening here and and the more this happens the more you p- become externally um defined and you're seeking that that external those those likes you know that you post something out there oh I only got two likes yeah, no, I need five likes or 10 likes or I need eight shares or whatever. I need someone or I need someone to post or I need five people to post. One of the podcaster I follow who I really like kind of posted an ultimatum in one of his recent shows and he said, I don't think people are listening to my show. It's not catching on. I think it is. I, I just don't think he markets his stuff very well, but I think he has a really strong following and I don't think he's doing it for necessarily this big audience anyway I think he's doing it for himself and 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 he does have an audience which he's benefiting of and whether that audience be a few hundred um but he but he made a statement of saying I'm going to post this show and if people if I don't get 20 unique people to post to tell me that the show value is a value to them and to keep doing it I'm, I'm not going to do it and I'm thinking oh like I really respect this guy he's super intelligent does a great show but no, dude, don't do not do that. Don't do that. Um, and again, some people aren't going to catch on. Some people just don't want to post, okay? And some people aren't into all of the social media formats and stuff like that. So, um, yeah, it, I understand. It's a lot of work to put together a podcast. He does it to a much higher level than I do as far as all of his editing and all of that. Um, but... Yeah, don't don't put these thresholds on of you know, I, I feel like it's that that annual not annual, I mean it seems like it happens more often, but it's it's like that PBS fun drive of like we need this threshold or else we're not gonna be able to deliver whatever. Well, you know, whatever. <laughs> so I know damn well if we don't have the threshold, the the show's gonna keep going on. So um but anyway, um yeah. I mean, you do it because you love it and people find you and not everybody is going to overtly be out there and be commenting and, and liking and, and doing all that external validation. And again, this guy's show is great. I love it. So I, I'd hate to see him, you know, give it up, but that's his choice. So... um here, uh, so is this Dr. Greenberg posts, they don't post moments when they're struggling, studying, or when their friends leave them out. Um, they post pictures of themselves being happy at a party with friends or on vacation looking good. Dr. Greenberg sees this misrepresentation as problematic because people look at it and say, oh, wow, their lives look so good. That's true, completely true. The Facebook fallacy. I've had many, many people tell me that. Again, it and, and and the reality that people might take a hundred photos of themselves and post and study and post like the one photo where they think they look the most favorable. And we're not talking like an inappropriate photo, or like you know they they will look over and and purposely like get some photo of something they're doing. Like here's my photo in front of this you know concert scene or whatever. Because they, they want people to know that they're there and that they're affiliated. Uh, affiliation, I don't, I don't agree with using that term. That, that, that they are present at that event. That they have paid their, their fee to have the ticket so they're standing in front of the stadium or something. And, you know, I have a, I have a good friend who is building a house, um, a big house really nice house um, and I, I think I have a nice house but I mean my house was built in 79 we've updated it many times um, it's very I like it you know I've I never come home thinking I wish I had a better house um, or you know lives, lived in a better neighbor or something I like, like my neighbors like my house but it's not a mansion it's a nice house but um, but my one of my friends who has a bigger family is building a bigger house and he's moving in in summer and uh he sent me some pictures of like the the diagrams of the house and 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 some of that stuff. Now it's gonna be laid out, and I actually felt I was good. I I, felt, I mean I was happy for him. So I was talking to him. And I'm like I'm I'm happy for you. I mean you have a growing family. They're gonna enjoy this while they're young. You need the space. Like you definitely need the space. You're not showing off. This isn't something you're you're bragging with. Um this this is so cool, that your family, you're gonna the, you know the things you're gonna be able to do. it's it's a better geographic area, better community i th- I think to raise a family in than where he's where he's at right now. um, just not as congested. Um, so I'm happy. I'm not sitting here saying, my friend is bu- building this house and stuff, and well, man, like my house isn't like that, and it's not gonna be brand new. and it's not this size and it doesn't have this game room and whatever. I'm like, I just, I'm happy for him. That's cool. He's a great guy. He works hard. His wife works hard. Um, his kids are young. They're going to be able to enjoy this house. And yeah, so, but you know, a lot of people could look at a picture like that and he doesn't post it online and do all this other stuff, but people could look at that and say, well, look at him. Here he is. He's bragging it up. Doing this, uh, building this big house, and all of this stuff in this neighborhood, and who is he? And then, that, and then that turns into thinking, "Well, who am I? Look at my house. I don't have this. I'm not going to have this. I'm not as good as this person. I don't have this for my kids or whatever." It's all garbage. But that's how that—that's how that stuff happens when people become externally motivated, and the—and when you lose out of just being truly happy for people, you know, when you just lose out. Of being truly happy for other people, like I said, for my friend, I'm truly happy for him because he, he, you know, it was a a home that he had grew up in, a starter home, I guess, for he and his wife, and they outgrew it, and they had the means. And I'm happy for the guy. You know, I don't live live anywhere near him. Otherwise, I'd help him move. But I'm happy. I'm happy for him. Um, let's move on. There are two sides to every story. Right. And then the answer right after that is wrong. Dr. Greenberg sees no benefits in perfectionism. It's, quote, it's in and of itself a problematic concept, she states. I think when young people are motivated, there's a wonderful thing. Or that's a wonderful thing. But motivation and perfectionism are not interchangeable. True. True. I mean, if you're motivated, I think that's reconnaissance and that's willing to try things. It's willing to fail at things. And to find out what you're good at and what you're not and and then just pick yourself up and and move on to other things and failure is okay. It's not like, you know, I played a lot of high school, you know, athletics and stuff like that. I mean, you win some, you lose some, and you learn and you move on. It's just the way it is. So um, there are two very different concepts and unrelated between perfectionism and being motivated. So, Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if I would draw those two terms because, I mean, you can be very motivated to be a perfectionist. Um, I, I, I think there's a difference between being a perfection, striving for perfectionism and, and striving to understand the world and to understand your self which is coming from more reconnaissance and the skill of like debate, understanding other perspectives, understanding fake news versus authentic news, how to validate things and, and being comfortable with who you are. Um, you know, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not sure that was a great comparison from her, but anyway, this is going to be a longer one folks, but I, I think it's good. I, I'm enjoying this. My voice getting a little dry. Like I said, there's almost like no humidity down here. So, um, um, okay, this is from from Doctor Greenberg. All I have seen come out of this is anxiety and depression. So, trying to to seek perfectionism. Perfectionism is laden with anxiety. You're chasing after something very elusive. Not only elusive, like perfectionism is subjective, and and. Uh, n- there is no such thing as perfection. There's no objective perfectionism. Like, there's no perfect circle that you can draw or a machine can draw there will always be tolerances. And there's n- so objective. And there's no subjective perfectionism. You know, like, wh- what is the perfect person? What is, yeah, you know, <laughs> what is the perfect painting? I You know, I don't know. Who the hell knows? I mean, it's what you, you pull out of it. I mean, and, it you know, so... Um, And of course, it leads to problems because nobody can be perfect and nobody should be perfect. Well, okay, first of all, like, no, there's no such thing as perfection. There's no such thing as like, here is the one perfect person in the world that we all measure ourselves up against. And then, you know, you know, we have similarities. Things will always be similar. Things Will always be similar, like this bridge is similar to this bridge, is similar to this bridge, even though they're all built off the same blueprint. This person might be similar to this person, similar, and you know, because of DNA and whatever, but nobody is the same, nobody has had the same experiences and and whatever. So, this whole thing, there, there, there is no perfectionism. Um, and once you got to perfectionism, actually, that would be a significant weakness. <laughs> because it's one of those things like if you had something that was completely that you you identified as like this is the absolute perfect um corn stock because of the way that we have engineered it through you know bioengineering and dna modification and whatever it's resistant to whatever 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 well if some uh, you know disease or or you know, non-native species comes in and finds a weakness in that it's wiped out because like it has no defense. Like it, you, you, you've exposed the one weakness and you can totally wipe it all out. So that's where diversity is, is a strength because you've, you've, you've got different, um, you know, some plants will, will, will make it, they'll do okay. Some plants won't. Um, but yeah, anyway, so we get into things like goal setting. We need to teach kids goal setting, people goal setting in general, look beyond the future of what are your goals and your, your goals aren't going to be that, you know, I'm, I'm going to be this popular or I'm, you know, (laughs) I'm going to work out every day or have this, you know, waist size and stuff. I mean, you know, I think goals include traveling goals, include friends that you have time to yourself, that you are reflective, introspective, that you're good, you're giving of time to others, you know, setting your goals. Um, Reconnaissance, a big part of this is connecting with nature, connecting with people and connecting with your environment around you and and having just understanding how to navigate and problem solve. And it doesn't mean that that has to be reckless. Aaron Clary notes that very well in his book, Reconnaissance Man. I mean, you don't go out there blindly, stupidly, you know, driving into – Areas which you wouldn't go, you know, even in the Bible, what Jesus, you know, there's some places he wouldn't go, and he would say, like, once you leave this, this, you're not welcome, you leave, you pound the dust off your feet, you don't even take it with you. But, you know, we go back to that podcast I did about the the parents' um, eighth grade field trip canceled because they're afraid of DC, you know, it's, it's just killing reconnaissance. Well, I, I think it's called Mississippi River Adventures. I'd be, I'd be, I don't know where you'd find it, but. If you go on YouTube, there are two brothers, and they were probably both, you know, like 20, 21, 19 or 20, whatever. But they're from Portage, Indiana. And um, they they did a series. They they canoed the entire Mississippi. And um, it was one of the coolest things. So they would post these little, like, 15, 20-minute things pretty much every day. I don't know, it took them a few weeks until they got down and the Gulf of Mexico. And then you don't go all the way out to the Gulf of Mexico because you don't take the canoe into the ocean. But, um, but you know, you, you, it was it was amazing because, you know, they start out and they have a lot of energy and then they have some ups and downs. They have to learn things like how do you navigate the locks and then, like, their can opener broke, so they had to, like, go into this community. And But, you know, people reach out and they help them or would buy them some meals or, you know, take their pickup trucks and move their their canoe beyond like a dam so they could go down and, um, you know, I wouldn't have to, to navigate that on their own. And, um, but just the experience that they had through reconnaissance, but I'm putting myself in the perspective of parents because I'm old enough to have kids their age of like, I'd be pretty nervous about that. Like I'd have to sit down and really think like, do I want my, my two boys to be out there because, you know, some jerk could, you know, scoot by and and capsize their boat or, you know, who knows what could happen or some storm could hit. But the other side is they're young. They've planned this out and they will remember this for the rest of their lives. And this is going to forge problem solving in them. There's going, they're going to get to see things that they've never seen before in their lives. They're going to be tested. And at any time, I mean, these guys could have, you know, you know pulled up somewhere and, and got on their cell phones and 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 you know the their dad would have come and got them so but i'm thinking this type of stuff is needs to happen it needs to happen and we we can't move toward this hyper society and and they were posting then this video i think that they then um i, I don't i don't believe they posted it necessarily during their journey i think they posted it they recorded these these video clips this was a couple years ago, like four or five years ago. And then they, they posted them after their, their journey, these little clips. Um, but it, it was really amazing. And I remember one of their last nights, they pulled up, I think, somewhere in Louisiana. And, and someone came down and took them in and, and took them, I think, to a casino. <laughs> and apparently they were old enough and, and bought them like a buffet and, um, and you know, washed their, their clothes, you know. And, uh, and got them some provisions and, and they sent them on their way and they had a small ways to go yet before their, their dad had picked them up. But, um, again, that type of experience for these guys will, will forever be there. And, and it just so valuable. And again, you can limit and select your social media. It's not as if you have to, to subscribe to these things. It's, it's just insane. And they don't mention that too. So, anyway, uh, and I think I think it's getting to be more of a trend, more more acceptable to not be on social media. I know more and more people who just aren't. They're saying it just it takes up too much time, and it's you know I know that my stuff is being harvested. and They kind of understand the, the game that's being played. Um, okay, so there's article comments from this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna pull out some of them. Try to move this up. You know, because I know we, we're at a two-hour mark. This is longer. Th- this is the podcast you listen to on a long trip, okay, or you want to break up. I think it's a good podcast, though, okay? I, I, I Again, I, I put a lot in into this one. Not that I don't know others, but, I mean, I've, I've got eight pages of notes here. So, article, comments, and... So getting into the article comments, most, most important, um, life is not perfect. It is messy and imperfect. It is okay for things to be imperfect. So somebody posted that. I agree. Here's someone just saying, you know, li- life's messy. You can't predict life. Perfection isn't the goal. Go with it. Make the most of it. Nice. Okay. And there were, there were some posts like that. So there were a lot of posts. I tried to pull out posts that kind of represent you know, where there might've been three, four, five. Ten other posts similar to it, not just standalones. I wanted to kind of get some themes here. Um, so, and I, I detail that out. I have a really detailed blog post that'll go with this. A really detailed blog post. Another article comment. Ah, the good old days of watching a small screen black and white TV. Have to get up and change the channel. Be lucky if you can get at least a good four or six channels, depending upon where you lived and bang on the side of the TV to receive good reception, AM transistor radios, later AM and FM, rotary landlines, and public phone booths. The youth of today could not survive that. I did, and I could survive that if we went back to it. Okay, so this is someone who's obviously um, older, and they're saying, you know, it's the young generation, they just don't get it, and they can't do it. And didn't that go back to, like, the times of, like, Aristotle and Plato, like, saying the younger generation, they just don't get it. So it's just kind of a societal thing. Um, yeah. So but you know, a number of people who were who who clearly just boxed millennials and said this is this is a a the, one of the weakest, most incompetent, um, unwilling to work, uh me, me, me that we've had. But you know what? Um a lot of millennials, you know, are very cautious with their money. I mean, they, they've they been through the 2008 crash. They're not going out and they're not pumping into this consumerism, you know, which is a big part of, of America. And it's also been prescribed to, you know, a lot of the baby boomers who take their two, three hundred, five hundred thousand dollar RVs and take them down to RV camp. So, you know, this is broad brush painting type thing of like, you know, the it's the them versus us. Let's move on. Another quote, another from a comment. That's because the social media culture is all about, look at me. And when no one is looking at you, they get depressed. Social media as an outlet has morphed into a horrible thing. Humans abuse and twist everything into something awful. Okay. Well, yeah, social media in itself, the argument can be made is it's just a media, just like, when the telephone came online, just when radio came on, when TV, it's morphed into a, a horrible thing in some regards. I mean, it's it's gotten yeah. I mean, it's become manipulated through advertising and and obviously things like that. It's free, so you know there's there's something they got to be pulling, extracting out of you. Um, and then this whole thing of humans abuse and twist everything into something awful. Not true. Not true. Not at all. Um, so. Um, let's move on. The problem with a lot of these kids is simply that they don't know how to lose. They were never provided with the tools to cope with failure. Unfortunately, the ability to overcome and learn from failure is mandatory for success. Their inability to deal with adversity is a huge roadblock. I think that's accurate. I, I, I think that's accurate. Um, I'm going to change that a little bit of, they never were provided with the tools to cope with failure. Um, that was done more of an adult jumping in. I remember that 20 years ago being on a report card comedians a school where they wanted to get rid of fail. They did get rid of failure. They got rid of it because they thought it stigmatized kids and a kid didn't want to be, or parents um, were argumentative with failure. So they replaced it with um, skill emerging. So you basically had whatever, um, to, you couldn't figure out how your kid was doing. Like, it, So here's a report. I don't know. Are they, they doing well? Here's a one, here's a two, and then here's an emerging. Um, so, you know, this whole thing of failure. And we go back to <laughs> everything, you know, 100, 150 years ago. I mean, how many prototypes were there of things before, you know, that didn't work? And then you took the prototype and, and you'd go back to the drawing table. So, yeah. Um, But it's like you have to get it right the first time. I mean, and and there's so little tolerance of letting people try things. And yeah, if you don't get it, it's failure. So, and I I don't think there's a correlation here. This person says, unfortunately, the ability to overcome and learn from failure is mandatory for success. Yeah, I don't know if it's mandatory for success. It's mandatory for growth. And uh, to understand that, you will have failure. Um, is is mandatory for you to, I guess, also identify where your strengths and weaknesses are. Because if something is just not your 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 strength area, there there's going to be a point when it's not going to make a lot of sense to keep investing in that versus like playing to your strengths. That's that whole Marcus Buckingham trombone player one uh, video series. Okay, another. Uh, comment. What is driving people into depression is the fact that they don't that they do do anything. They sit and watch videos, video games, text, and really have nothing to do. Now, they don't know how to do anything. Ask any of them to change a tire with a question mark, plant a garden, do anything real. When you can't really do anything, you should be depressed. I, I, th- I think there's some authenticity in this certainly um the fact that we are becoming more and more with video games with virtual reality instead of reality <laughs> you know like here's my trip through the forest that i took from my desk while wearing vr goggles versus you know actually being out in a forest and the smells of the forest and the dampness and the unevenness of the trail and, and the rustling of the leaves and Here's what you know. These uh, moving some of these sticks and you know stuff like that, and seeing uh, you know a rabbit or hey, there's a deer. But uh, anyway, planning a garden it goes back. I last year I worked on some landscaping. It was a it was a hot day, and I filled up my wheelbarrow with uh, lawn soil, had it out in my yard, and you know was was mixing it in with I think a little bit of lime and i remember how warm and just how great it felt to run my hands through the soil like how awesome that was it was so good and it is that thing we lose touch we lose and we're losing touch more and more but that's not millennials necessarily that's societal you know that is that's video games throughout the the spectrum of young to old And, you know, virtual reality and virtual reality, you know, field trips and simulations and, um, you know, the, the fact that, yeah, I mean, let's think about it. I mean, most of us have things ordered through Amazon, which there's pluses to that. You can get reviews and compare and stuff like that. But, I mean, you're not going out to stores. Meaning you're, you know, you're, you're not interacting with people, you're not seeing other things, the whole thing that goes into that, planning that trip, planning that route, and and maybe, you know, stopping for a bite to eat or at Dairy Queen with the kids or whatever. I mean, no, I mean, it's, I'm going online, I'm ordering, there will be a brown box, it will be delivered, it will be outside my door, and sometimes the doorbell will ring or something. Like that. So, you know, there, there's bigger things at, at play here. So. I liked this one a lot. Okay. This one, having a hiring, having been a hiring manager for, and I'm reading these verbatim. So there's some, you know, mistakes in the way some of these are written, but having been a hiring manager for 25 years, I have firsthand knowledge that the young adults of today are not striving for perfection. They are petrified of social failure. I think that's, I think that's true. I, this person is looking at it from a different perspective, and I appreciate that. Of saying, it's not the fact so much of that you have to be perfect. It's that we have stigmatized failure to the point where nobody wants to, or I mean, nobody, uh, you know, wants to fail. But um, if if you fail, it is it's portrayed as horrible. I mean, it is it is it is a nasty, bad, you know. Thing and, and we've we've scrubbed that out of school report cards. Nobody talks about failure. Administrators don't want kids to experience failure. You don't even bring them up to that threshold. You know, the the warmth of, you know, we're getting closer to the 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 zone here where this might be a struggle for you. You know, this might be the academic rigor threshold and you might fail. And if you do, we'll pull back and we'll try it again with some different supports or a different approach. But, I mean, people don't, don't get close to that fire anymore. And uh, so I think it's true. I, I, I think it is this, this, this uh, component of being petrified of social failure. Failure in general, not only social, you know, like job failure and stuff, but social failure um, of, of what what if I post something that goes viral
0: I am not
1: I'm not aiming for perfection. I'm I'm talking about something I'm doing. I'm, tr- I'm not trying to make a statement. I review um a movie or some trip that I do or or, or whatever and for some reason something goes vi- viral and I I I crumble, you know, with it or I get attacked or or something like that or I, or I give an opinion that I think maybe is pretty neutral at the time and it and it gets turned against me maybe even by people that I don't even know and that's happened it happens so I, I think this person is right on saying it's it's not necessarily the the strength for perfection although we know that happens but it's also this complete terror of like social failure now when you get to be my age you know it's it's not as big of a concern for social failure because you have measures in place um you know where you're, you're established, and you know you have some fiscal base and and stuff like that, and um, you know closer to retirement than you are to to working and stuff like that. Um, but definitely, I, I I can I can see that I, I can see that point. And here's here's the last one. This uh, I am an older I am on the older spectrum of millennial age group, and I agree that social media plays a part in how we are. I will add that when I was in school, there was a huge pressure to go to college. We were told, if we didn't, you wouldn't be anybody. You would be worthless to society. So, yeah, I mean, the, the reality is there. The school systems are set up where they're all designed for post-secondary. How are you going to succeed in post-secondary? And post-secondary is considered as college. It's not the person who comes from a successful family business and they go into the family business. Um, no, they want to know if you're going to college and they want you to go to college. So, you know, if you have a dairy farm and you're, you're passing that down, if you have some other family business and you're passing that down, if you want to become an entrepreneur, you know, and open, you know, a, a um, lawn care business or, you know something like that. I mean, we're so heavily licensed in the United States. I mean, you got to go through a lot of the the trade schools and, and apprenticeships and stuff like that. But um, but this measure of success is really on that piece of paper and that degree. And it is it, you know it's like someone who has said you know I'm 22 years old and I have this this business or this share in this our, our family business. And whatever, and I'm banking money, and I'm going to be able to pay for my house in cash by the time I'm, you know, thirty, and I'm enjoying it. And there'll be people who come out and say that person failed, you know, they never went to college, um, and yet, you know, they're they're hardworking, and you know, it's kind of like a couple of these folks I mentioned, like that voiceover young man who's like twenty. Who's doing extremely well, is cultivating his business, has a great turnaround time, perfecting his skills, understands the technology, um, and it is doing great. What good is it going to do him at this point to move away from that and spend time in college? It's not going to do him any good. Not, I'm not I'm not dissing college necessarily, but I'm just saying we're we're moving into this ubiquitous time. I don't, we're probably there already where you can educate yourself from the internet. You can educate yourself from podcasts. You, there is there is wisdom out there that, that you can find um, that you could not find readily um, 15, 20 years ago. I mean, you'd have to go to a library. You'd have to pull stuff out of books. And you remember the old encyclopedia stuff? I mean, I had a roommate in college that sold encyclopedias. You don't have to do that anymore. So, yeah, I mean... It is one of those things where it. We still have a society of it. It doesn't matter how successful you are to some extent if you didn't go to college. <laughs> um, it, and just just how crazy you know how crazy that is. Um, so, or complete college, but. All right, this has been a longer one, folks. You know, I hope the audio turns out because if it doesn't, I have to re-record this. <laughs> it has been a long. A long show. I I really love doing this. We've got some new things introduced in this show, as far as like, you know, I'm using a different video capture. So I think you're going to notice the colors are going to be better in this. And of course, our audio should be better because we have different gain settings, different drivers. And we were, I'm going to convert this into a wave, an uncompressed format, and then going into a compressed format through a phonics. So we should have a much better, um, audio file for those of, of you who really, you know, can pick up on those things in the podcast, you know, cause some of you are listening to podcasts in a car or whatever else, not noisy. So you're not, not really getting it anyway, but uh, you know, those little, those little nuances, but, but I think it's going to, it's going to make a difference and I'll continue to refine that. Um, so thank you again for supporting the show. I appreciate emails. I appreciate Twitter followers at safetyphd.com. You can, or at, at SafetyPhD on Twitter, at SafetyPhD. You can go to safetyphd.com to learn more. You know, the blog is there. It's regularly updated. Um, it's safety for you, your community, your family. We get into some other things too, but really this is the space that, that we occupy. You're intellectual, and, you know, I'm, I'm getting the rhetoric out of this for you, and I'm, I'm, I'm helping you to, you know, through your, your own pace, you know, consume this to think about it, aspects of this that apply to you, that apply to your family. And, and the more and more, you know, you listen to this show and listen, I think to some of the other shows that, that, that I, that I, I guess recommend it. Um, I just think it, it, it's, it's going to make you, um, a, 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 it's going to sharpen your intellect, you know? <laughs> It is it is the file that's sharpening your your intellect, and I think you're going to enjoy it, and you're going to see that transfer into the s- discussions that you have in people. It's it's It brings up that fake news detector better, and it, it helps you realize I'm not in this crazy world where I'm just trying to be manipulated and nothing is really making sense, that there is a lot of sensical stuff out there, which is having all of this frosting of media and advertising and all that stuff thrown on it, and especially right now because mainstream media is dying, and they're doing everything that they can to to try to survive, you know. Um, so, but uh, again, thank you so much, um, and have a safe 2018. I know across the country we have a lot of treacherous road conditions right now, so be careful in any travels that you're doing. Take the extra time. <laughs> And, uh, you know, really take the, take, take the extra time, um, uh, throw in that extra jacket, hat, gloves, boots, shovel, whatever in your car. I do that right now and, uh, and, and be, be safe and be appreciative for, for what you have folks. And I'm very appreciative of, of, of all of you. And for my international audience, uh, I want to thank you, uh, very much, you know, France and, and Germany and, and really, um, Thank you a ton for that. Um, you know, for for listening, and thank you California for just really upping the the downloads of of the show. And, and again, I, I'm reachable, folks. I'm reachable. Go to safetyphd.com, and you can post um, in the comment section of a blog. The blogs uh, accompany every video. And you can email me questions, and I'll I'll gladly answer those. Or you can say I'd like you to address this, if you would, in a future podcast, and I'd be glad to consider that and most likely do that for you. Um, so yeah, and I don't charge for that consulting thing, but you know, Dave, I want to learn. You mentioned this, and can you explain more about it? Or here's what I'm seeing, and and whatever. So um, thank you again for tuning in to Safety Doc Podcast fifty seven. And take care. Stay warm. We are about to warm up here in Wisconsin after this three-week deep freeze. And just think, folks, what two months and daylight savings time. So how time flies. Thank you again, and wishing you the very best for 2018. This is David Perodin, the Safety Doc, signing out. Best to all of you.
0: Got up, papa shoe, papa, dad papa 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 shoe, papa Papa up
1: pa pa da da, pa pa Papa,
0: up pa pa ta ra pa pa up da, up da da,